Hey there, Juniper Smith. This is Inyash. Hey, Inyash, how's it going? This is Steven. Steven, not everyone knows who Juniper Smith is because a lot of people did not read Worth the Candle, apparently, before reading this. Who is Juniper Smith? And yeah, I know the crazy bad decision making on their part, having not read Worth the Candle yet. Uh, Who is Juniper Smith and uh, why are you him? He's the protagonist of uh, the great web serial by Alexander Wales, Worth the Candle. If you uh, you like this kind of format, you might dig that book because we did, I don't know, 150, 200 hours worth of content talking about that book. Yeah. So... If you've got a year to kill and want to listen to a lot of shit, uh, <laughs> we, we've got you covered. And uh, he also has a lot of like, uh, well, he he suffers from sexual hangups where they're just trying to figure out the lines. Yes. So yeah, that came to mind because yeah, I was listening to the audiobook driving to and from Fort Collins yesterday. So or Sunday. Oh, the audiobook of Worth the Candle? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, he's got a fair bit of sexual hangups. I think he mostly gets over them in time. Well, this isn't not everything is a clue. This is it makes sense if you understand decision theory. What is it makes sense if you understand decision theory. This is the podcast where you and I talk about uh, Kelsey Piper and Eliezer Yudkowsky's Glowfic Project Lawful. They are writing this thing, we are reading this thing, and then talking about this thing, and recording the talking about this thing, and publishing it so that you can be listening to us talking about the reading of this thing. Uh, well you put. Can give, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you can give us money to, uh, somewhere along that chain by going to Patreon, which is linked in the show notes. We do kick back 15% to Kelsey and Eliezer. And actually, I'm going to have to get on that in a couple days because uh, not a couple days, but a couple weeks because it is the first half of the year. It's just about over here. Oh, yeah. Happy yeah. mid mid year. Huzzah. You know, I never complain about the, the long days because I miss the sun, you know, in the winter. Mm-hmm. But I will say, I, I'm looking forward to sunrise not being at 530. Mm, don't you have like blackout curtains? I do, but they let in slivers of light. Shall we get into the listener feedback? Well, really quick, actually, first, I knew there's something I wanted to ask Ooh, yeah. about. You were at a okay. Vibe Camp last week, which is why this is a week uh, delayed. It is, and I was, yes. What is Vibe Camp, Inyash? I bumped into somebody at the last meetup who told me about it, and I want to see oh, how, he, he, how your pitch to it compares to his. So, what is Vibe Camp? Uh, vibe, so, hmm, first, to promote another podcast that I am on, at The Mind Killer, we recorded a special episode live at Vibe Camp, where we basically just talked to Vibe Camp people about their vibe. And during that, we uh, discussed what is Vibe Camp, what is post-rationality, and what is Teapot. So you can get more detailed answers there, and I will link to that. But since you are asking right now and you want to know, in short, uh, there's a whole bunch of rationalists and post-rationalists who... I'll follow each other on Twitter, basically, and um, they call it kind of like their little area of Twitter. Literally, this part of Twitter is what Teapot stands for. Last year, Brooke, one of these uh, Teapotters, said, you know what? We should all meet up, and uh, I am awesome and agenty, and I'm going to make this happen. And so she did, and they all met at a campground in Austin, and it was reportedly the most awesome thing ever. And so they did it again this year at a much, much better location in, well... I, I probably a much better location, uh, more practical at any rate in Maryland. And uh, that's where I went. It's sort of like a, a campground with a number of cabins, areas to uh, put up tents, uh, a barn for raves, like all kinds of cool shit and a bunch of rationalists really doing the Burning Man thing where you just buy a ticket and go and the everything else is mostly up to the people who come to present and entertain each other. And it actually worked out really well. I believe that... Uh, what was it? One out of every seven attendees was also presenting, putting on some sort of a thing. Hmm. So it was great. How many attendees? Like, what's the size are we talking about? I don't know if the f- official census is out, but I believe I heard somewhere around the range of 500. And that's across, you said there are multiple camps? 
I mean, it's one large camp area. I don't know. Well, yeah, yeah so this person went to Vibe Camp 1 or Vibe Camp 2 or something. Oh, Vibe Camp 1 was last year. Vibe Camp 2 is this one. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so there are like about 500 people at this campground. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, is, did you have a good time? I had a fucking amazing time. I was in the middle of writing up a blog post when I realized I am going to be late to the podcast if I don't <laughs> stop. Because <laughs> it got to be too long. All my blog posts get to be too long, but this one especially. So I'm going to finish it up once we're done here. Hopefully it'll be up before midnight. And it it talks, well, it's going to talk some about Vibe Camp, but there's so many things I want to say that there's going to have to be like four or five different blog posts altogether. But this is going to be the first one. Sounds awesome. I had, yeah, I had just the best time. And it felt like a bit of a life reset, like not like full life reset, but just one of those turn it off and turn it on again resets. I need one of those. I thought <laughs> yeah. that's what my trip to my, my vacation in May was going to be. And it was, it was a bit of that, but I came back on more quickly and more fully than I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Like I came back to my desk at work. And it was like, I never left. Right. So. Yeah, I know to, to, to like to do a full life reset. It, it really requires like extraordinary measures. You got to go to like a major festival, I something. Thought, I thought this was kind of extraordinary measures, but I'm, I'll try anything else. I'll try something else. So the only, the reason I wanted to ask about this too, was whoever it was at the meetup, I think it was George said that it's like exclusive Twitter friends. And as somebody who's not on Twitter, can I get like buddied in next year if I wanted to go or do I have I, to join the dark side and be on Twitter? <laughs> I literally don't know. Hmm. Um, I think it's possible to somehow get buddied in because there were children there, so they don't have their own Twitter accounts. Um, I'm not sure if there are any spouses that of, of people who aren't on Twitter themselves. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, but, I, I could make an account and like follow you just to get on this next year, but you know. That's that may be all it takes. There there were some people there who like have almost no presence on Twitter at all. Like it's not it's not just for people who are active on Twitter. Like I'm barely active on Twitter, you know? It's uh it's Twitter was just a lot of how they organized the thing and sold the tickets and all that. So as long as you have an account on Twitter, uh I believe you can at, at least apply and uh possibly get a ticket. Well, cool. Well, since I'll be leaving Reddit in like 10 days, I'll need something else to, I don't want to like jump straight onto Twitter, but maybe I'll get on it by this time next year and I'll go to Vibe Camp. So what's, uh, what's going on with uh, Reddit? Remind me to base blast you about it. It's actually pretty interesting. I look forward to being blasted. Happy early birthday. Oh, thank you very much. Everyone uh, in the, in the listening audience just gave you a happy birthday as well. So yeah, thanks guys. <laughs> well, speaking of the audience, we want to jump into feedback. Let's do it. We ask specifically for someone to tell us, hey, what is this uh, blue and orange morality thing? I can't believe I didn't run across this. It's a thing on TV tropes. Uh, I, I I don't know. I, I guess just somehow this got past my radar, but it's another axis on the morality spectrum, like lawful, chaotic, good, evil. Uh, there's, there's another one called blue and orange, which is specifically there just to um, refer to alien moralities that are completely unrelated to anything, which is why they call them blue and orange. Because like, what what does that even mean to a human? Why is blue a thing that you would want or anti-want and orange the opposite? So uh, yeah, just completely alien morality that, that doesn't track with anything that we humans track. Awesome. Well, in our in your defense of not making the connection, I don't think he ever said blue and orange morality. He just said blue and orange. Uh, and so I, I could have Googled that and I didn't bother, but I, he, I don't think he ever used it. Like it was clearly a thing about morality, but it might have also been like styles of thinking or whatever. Um, yeah, but it's a it's an obvious enough reference that if I was familiar with it, I would have got it. Oh yeah, like now, the others were pretty uh, pretty obvious ones too. Yeah, now it is. But yeah, so it's a it's a three dimensional uh, 
like mind graph, lawful to chaotic, evil to good, and necktie to bacon. <laughs> I'll let you guess nice. which ones are orange and blue. Ah, I, I mean, it should be obvious, really. Yeah. Um, you want to grab the next one? Uh, I haven't seen this. What is this? Oh, this Who is the like audio. You have an audiobook. Yeah. So is it? It is being a uh, Patreon supported. All right, way to go. Yeah, there is enough Patreon support for him to put out. It sounds like two episodes per month. That's fucking awesome. That's great. I'm happy to yeah, hear. Congrats, everyone. Frankly, I feel embarrassed, but I didn't actually check it out on Patreon. I kept plugging it and didn't go. So I will open that now and uh, add it before you hear this. Ask who. And there is a link in the show notes to. It's a place where you can uh, host podcasts for free, where they're where this is being published by Ask Who. Acast. Acast. Yes. So we've got uh, I stand leet. I'm gonna quite possibly I'm gonna say that's hmm. how you say it. Uh, I want to note for Stephen that Ayazukowski uh, quote on Harry was my 18 year old self with constitution and wisdom swapped, and I've heard you say int and wisdom swapped multiple times. And given Eliezer's disparagements of his constitution and hubris of his intelligence slash wisdom, it's a really impactful difference. <laughs> <laughs> Love you and Eliezerukowski. Thank you. I stand leet. I forgot the quote so i appreciate being corrected i don't know what constitution would map to in real life isn't that hit points yeah ability to be injured yeah i mean because he's a wizard and wizards are impervious to a lot of damage so he's saying he was way wiser than harry as a kid yes okay (laughs) i i thought that it was that he was gonna say yeah see that's that's the that's the hubris bit that's why i thought he said intelligence and wisdom swapped um But, okay, Constitution and Wisdom. Fair enough. I like it. Good catch. I could have sworn it was Charisma and Wisdom. Well, well now we're going to have to go back and listen. Ah, damn it. All right. I'll... All right. Uh, this was... Crap. I didn't note who said this, um, I, so I don't know if it was a direct quote. But somebody on the Discord made the comment, uh, or the gist of the comment, that when I was saying that people should be allowed to just give sex as a gift, because obviously maybe not in the real world, but ideally, yeah, that should be great. Uh, the comment was, if you let people give sex as a gift, people will feel pressure to do so when they don't actually want to. And like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I understand that. That is a downside. But like, that's a downside of letting anyone give any sort of a gift for anything. Like <laughs> people may feel pressure to give a gift when they don't actually want to for all sorts of reasons. Oftentimes, we call those uh, graft and corruption, bribes, as they may be. This is not an uncommon problem. And I don't know, I can see how in a world where you cannot control reproduction, where having sex often leads to pregnancy, and also there's a lot of uh, sexual disease learning rampant, then you might have to put really tight screws on sexual expression in general. But like, in a world where that's not the case, and sex is just another great thing that people can do, like, yeah, they, they are going to feel pressure sometimes to do that. And that sucks. And hopefully we have people agency enough to resist that pressure. Sometimes they're not gonna, but like, I sometimes feel pressure to give money to people. I regularly am walking along the streets and people are like, hey, hey, give me some money. I'm going to die if I don't get my heroin. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm, I'm not going to do that. So um, often they also just, want like food and, you know, gloves, but they say uh, they want food and gloves. But so was the dot dot dot. Okay. Was that you or the quote? That was me. Okay, because I that was me being like, yeah, I, I, I know that, right? 
Because that sounds like an objection I would have made, like the thing in quotes here, that if you let people give sex as a gift, I mean, I don't think anyone should be like, I don't know what it means to not let somebody do something. But like, if we encourage the societal norm of like, sex as a gift, I mean, you know, like every nice guy trademark who whatever helps a girl move, and then Uh wants sexual favors in return. Yes, but if that that was like a societal expectation, you know, then it would just be like, it'd be like another weird layer of. So that shouldn't be a societal expectation. I well, I agree. Okay. That people shouldn't be expected to pay with sex. Or that shouldn't right. that shouldn't be like a like a, a usual way that people pay for things. You know, like if someone helps you move, you know, yeah. good good payments yeah, include usual... things like money, beer, or or pizza, right? I, I mean, uh, if you're talking yes, yes, yes. Those are all common things that people will gift to other people. And like usually it's not like whatever, a reach around, you know? Sure. But you know, what if you wanna? Yeah, so I, I guess I guess if you want to go nuts, it's just like I think then, then, then it would make. That's the entirety of my argument. Yeah, I, I think that encouraging it as a social norm would mean that, like, then whenever any nice guy says it, you know, it'd be like if we were no, to encourage. No, why? It, I, I, I don't know why you're bringing in the nice guys here. Like, fuck those guys. They, they aren't. They're trying to extort sex by being shitty. Like, they, this no, they're is trying just, to extort sex by being nice. Eh, are they being nice though? It, it, that's very much like when you go to a foreign country and someone like grabs your bag when you come out of a taxi and hauls it over to the hotel for you, the hotel door, and then is like, yep, yep tip now, tip for for the service. It, it's it's not actually being nice. That's a good point. And if this was, if we had time to dig into this, we would, but I will leave it at that. Yeah, like I, I don't want the social norm to be like, now you're required to give sex to people for whatever. That's a terrible social norm. And I don't, I, I feel slightly offended that 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 would be thought as the implication it should just not be the social norm that people are shamed for trying to give sex or kisses or something as a gift yeah no i i like that uh i i guess what i was thinking was um we we could spend more time digging into this but i do think that like things like helping friends with stuff usually it's not like about well now i owe you 30 dollars. it's like well i'll help you next time you need something right yeah 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 Yeah. that's what friendship is yeah well, it's not like it's not when I help you do things, I don't expect a blowjob from it either. Oh, good. I'm glad I, don't disappointed. Ex- I don't even expect a gift. Like I brought some uh, some of my little story collections to give out at Vibe Camp. And for a few people I gave them, I was like, you really made this vibe special and uh, and better for me. I, I would like to give this to you as a gift. And it's the same kind of thing. And not one blowjob in exchange, huh? Well, I mean, <laughs> a gentleman never tells, Stephen. Of course, of course. Well, we've got another gentleman, Lord Sirth, gentle person. So they've got a theory. They say that there's no no word for a second in Galarian. Round is the smallest unit of time, which happens to map to six seconds. I can dig it. Yeah. Uh, it still means that Keltham's, his wrist device, that he, he never calls it a watch, really, right, when he's talking about it. Uh, he, do, he doesn't <sighs> remark that it used to keep time in what we called seconds and that rounds are longer than seconds, but... Uh, I like that idea. Yeah, because he does. He does have some trouble specifying short units of time. He he like defaults to heartbeats or breaths or something, right? Whenever instead of using seconds, that is kind of fun, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I, I I think that he has like when it was like lunch break, whatever it was like twelve half minutes or whatever he called it. Yeah, it's like some weird segment of time, right? Maybe he's going to try to say six seconds at some point, and the translation engine is just going to pop the word round into his head. And he's going to be like, oh, shit, there's a word for six seconds in your language? Nice. Yeah. 
Uh, also from Lord Surth, he uh, weighs in on our work on our discussion about Singer's argument about wading into a pool to save a drowning kid. Uh, he says that the Watcher on Dothalan, the teacher person, the Watcher says that an adult Dothalani would immediately recognize the story as a deliberate manipulation. The children's thought process was drowning child, saving requires ruining clothes, thinking about clothes versus child is evil, save child. The story manipulated the children into thinking that weighing the different parts of their utility function was morally wrong by explicitly opposing sacred and non-sacred values. The lesson was that this is irrational. There are no sacred values, only things you value more or less, that you should always think clearly and decide. And uh, importantly, the Watcher explicitly stated that he could have exploited the same weakness to the point of driving everyone but Keltham nuts. I like that distillation. I think that I think that was spot on. You know, I I, I find Singer's argument persuasive, um, but not persuasive. You know, all the way to any. You know, no one finds it persuasive all the way to giving the clothes off your back away. Right. I'm aware of one person who gives away basically everything, and that's Will McCaskill. You know, other than that, maybe some saints and monks that don't write. New York Times bestsellers, but um, <laughs> I think that Lord Surth's uh, analysis is correct. I disagree with the Dothalani's uh, lesson that they're trying to teach here. Because, I mean, yes, it's, it's manipulation, but like so is any time you try and get anyone to help with anything, right? No, I, I, I don't think so. I think they're, they're, the manipulation is that they're trying to make the kids put their utility function, like mutilate their utility functions by putting a sacred value up against a non-sacred value. And the lesson is, you know, don't don't do that or don't have sacred values yeah exactly yeah see i think there are sacred values in that like you know i i I care more about whatever my life and my my spouse's life than i do about five random people right even though that's grotesque you know well i I disagree that's grotesque actually no this is actually a really interesting uh, thought and maybe we should do a uh, Bayesian conspiracy episode about Robin Hansen's recent writings about uh, sacred values because he's he's gotten some new stuff out of the on that topic lately I um I would love to that's great so what are you saying that um valuing your wife's life over strangers lives is a sacred value or isn't a sacred value I think it is I think that like I think that human life is in you know sacred without the religious connotation but I think human lives are sacred in a way that like paintings aren't um so does so you should value all lives equally is what you should be doing is what you're saying? I'm not sure what should means here. I'll have to give that some some thought that wouldn't be conducive to the content of this show. But uh, well, when you say all lives are sacred, does that mean that you feel bad when you value other people's lives less than your wife's life? Or do you think that that's a good thing that you value other people's lives less than your wife's life? I think it might be a bit of a contradiction that I'm kind of okay living with. Like, uh-huh. I think that... Um, to kind of run through it quickly in my brain and try and word vomit something semi-coherent. I think that like human lives have something approximating infinite value, mm-hmm. uh, like whatever the scale is there at the top, mm-hmm. um, you know, with dogs and cats below that and rocks at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, but as, as a person, you know, as, as a human being, like I, I, I recognize that, that all human lives are super valuable, but I actually find myself caring more about some than others right i think that's good actually yeah no i I think so too um all right i I, isn't that kind of the point that they're making that you're allowed to value some things more or less than other things uh well yeah except i i think that the the no sacred values thing i guess like you know if someone was like uh well you know pain is bad we should 
you know, hurl the earth into the sun to get rid of pain. I would say, yeah. no, fuck you. And I would actually even kill you to stop you from doing it, even though I think your life has infinite value, right? Um, it's it's like a taboo I mean, trade-off. It, but I, I think in that case, you're just being incoherent. You obviously don't think his life has infinite value. That's why I say something approximating infinite. I think well, I, I think this is literally what the watcher is is saying when he means I could make every I could drive everyone nuts because they they are saying statements like this and have to justify them somehow, be, even though they're incoherent statements. Like you're just allowed to say that human lives don't have infinite value. Hmm. I will give that some more thought. I I think uh, I mean I guess I could say it has more than anything else. Yeah, um, absolutely. Without being infinite, uh, you can say that a a you know random standardized human life has more value than any other non-human life thing that you can think of i would actually probably disagree with you but would you uh what would you put one thing of that's higher than a, a human life like you can't say like all of art right but you could say like the mona lisa okay or do you want to save this because we're almost half an hour in and we haven't started the show no i mean I, i'm i'm thinking that there are some particular things that it might be worth risking death to defend um oh like our ability to, beautiful- to to travel quickly from city to city or whatever we are willing to sacrifice thirty five thousand lives a year in the united states to have everyone drive cars that is that is one um example yeah i, I specifically was thinking about um the the cathedral at um at uh westminster westminster mm-hmm. abbey as they call it despite the fact that it's not an abbey but uh like that might be worth going to uh going to war over to prevent it from being destroyed maybe not like full-fledged war but i i'd be i might be willing to risk death if someone was invading to to vend that thing this must be some hell of a pile of rocks i got to see this thing it's it's awe-inspiring and a lot of it is value that i put on it for reasons aside from the rockiness of it yeah no of course <laughs> i i was being yeah. uh, tongue-in-cheek there but I, I did read your blog posts about it and i loved that it was so impactful and i've definitely seen things that i i really like too but i mean i suppose you're right you know it's there are some things that are super, super important. You know, I can't think of one right off that stirs me emotionally, but you'd be like, look, no, actually, this thing matters more than insert random one of 8 billion people. Mm. Um, anyway, Max to the Max, great name. Uh, <laughs> talking about tipping. We incentivize people to take jobs from employers who underpay their workers. Tipping, because we worry people won't have enough money to make do, is creating perverse incentives. If new industries start asking for standard tips in places where they didn't use, uh, didn't use where they didn't use it to be any resist as much as possible. I agree. That's, that's the whole point of that's the problem with tipping and basically the solution. I don't know if you've ever gone through like a self checkout where, or like basically, uh, basically self checkout, you know, the, per, the person at the gas station, you know, you hold the the soda or whatever, they scan it. And then when they turn the thing around, there's still an option to tip. Um, oh yeah. And it's like, I brought this to you. I did everything mm-hmm. other than click the you know computer that said I could buy it. Um, yeah. that is not worth a tip, unfortunately. Uh, no, I agree. Uh, it's, it's one of those things. Anyone who, uh, hasn't seen, um, Reservoir Dogs should see Reservoir mm. Dogs and observe Mr. Pink's, was it Mr. Pink? The Steve Buscemi. Okay. Everyone had code names. Have you not seen this movie? I have seen this movie. I don't remember who it was that, that made this. I thought it was, um, Quentin Tarantino that made the argument that he never tips. I thought it was Buscemi, but I guess I can't remember. One of them says that they don't tip and like everyone, even like, you know, they're like, you know, murderous gangsters and like you're an asshole it was great yeah yeah i mean i i think starting to tip serving staff making a norm uh that everybody tips serving staff was one of the greatest mistakes humanity has ever made and uh yeah i I include hitler (laughs) (laughs) because uh that that 
like literally what it says. It's perverse incentives to uh, to make people take jobs that don't pay them enough to live. Yeah, it's a load of shit. We shouldn't do that. I mean, I'm, fight I'm, the, against the only, it. The only plus side is that like it is nice if you know someone does do something above and beyond. You know, it's like, oh man, can I give you twenty bucks and like have it not be super super weird? Um, Wait a minute, but wouldn't they then feel obligated to always give them the twenty bucks, Stephen? Wouldn't they feel pressure even if they don't want to give them the twenty bucks? Hmm. I will let you know. I the guy who came by and repaired our counter for because it was still under warranty. Mm-hmm. He was there all day and did all the little minutia. Uh, yeah. But he actually missed like one spot. But I gave him whatever. I rounded up fifteen bucks to the nearest increment of money. Yeah. Um, and I will see if I feel pressure to tip again this time. So I probably won't. <laughs> I, I'm almost positive you won't. I, I, I'm that. That's kind of my point. That just because something is permissive or permissible doesn't mean it is mandatory. And it it seems weird to say that. Like, well, if it's permissible to give sex as a gift, then suddenly it becomes mandatory. I'm like, no, it doesn't. You don't have to do that at all. Touche, sir. No, okay. I I don't know. It's just it was it was a really easy dig to get in there i'm sorry no no it wasn't I a dig. You were right. i took it no no uh, you, you you didn't you didn't laugh you you know or or make me feel that about it you you use that as a good example to illustrate the point well done oh hey all right thank you all right gadbeeb gadbeeb says carissa isn't evil cheliax is evil carissa is hermione with a cheliax upbringing She's desperately trying to be evil because that's what she has been taught is right. She's willing to put in the hours to practice, even if it doesn't come naturally. So now we can always think of Hermione saying, you shouldn't do that, Harry. It wouldn't be evil. That is really funny, and I do love that. But I, 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 I don't know if I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I, unless, you know, I, I might just not have a good understanding of what evil means, like both mm-hmm. in terms of the story and in real life. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, she talked about you know, not pulling her punches when torturing prisoners to death. Uh, because, you know, that's just what people do is they, they go, you know, there's no reason to, to pull their punches. Right. Uh, and that was before she made a dedication to trying to be as evil as possible. I, yeah, but like, there's probably some prisoners that really deserve harsh punishments in the real world. Right. I'm willing to just bet a priori that none of like at the super majority of the prisoners that Chelyax tortures to death didn't deserve it. Well, yeah, but she doesn't know that. She thinks they do because that's what she was raised to believe. I don't know. Deserve or expect. Morality is complicated, but I, I I, don't think Hermione could ever be talked into, you know, whipping somebody until her arm got sore just because that's what her parents told her to do. She'd be the one who'd stand her ground and say, no, screw you. That would hurt them. and That's bad. Hmm. But what if she thought it was helping them because then they would do better in hell? That wasn't. Listed as one of Chris's motivations, and I imagine I mean, that she would, the, I imagine that she would also whip uh, whatever heretics to other gods and stuff. Yeah, so there that that would just be to hurt them because they're not going to the hell that you know torture is good. I honestly, ever since I read this from Gad Beeb, I have been reading Carissa as Hermione, except you know raised by Voldemort, and like Hermione raised by Voldemort really has strong Carissa vibes for me. Yeah, it's a great parallel, and that might actually. I wonder if that's what. Um, what Kelsey was going for in the character. Uh, like it lands so well, except for me, you know, Hermione is the, you know, the epitome of goodness and, and Carissa's not. So uh, hmm. it's hard for me to, 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 to live with that no matter how much I think the vibes do match really well. So. All right. Last one. 
I commented in the last episode that I was kind of worried that two major characters didn't have character portraits. And does this mean they're going to die soon or something? And they they didn't want to put the effort to get character portraits for them. Keiko says, Ione's and Elias's lack of character portraits was confusing and worrisome for me soon as it became obvious that they would be recurring POV characters. One theory I had initially was that it was part of the Constellations convention. By the way, the Constellation is the broader community of Glowfic and Glowfic writers and all of them. That's a good uh, name for it. Yeah. Uh, it was part of the Constellations convention that only characters who are intended to be accessible for crossovers are expected to get face casts, i.e. the characters that an author is interested in playing in a different story. The face cast would mean, please don't hijack this character. I have plans for them. And characters without face casts are fair game, which makes a lot of sense. All right. I'm looking forward to seeing Broom in 60 other stories. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, great. Fun stuff. Oh, yeah. Content proper, shall we? Let's do it. All right. Well, books. So just really quick, book and chapters. Those are made up by, I'm going to call the group of people who do this, our scribes. Did we already decide that or did I just make that up? That is true. Um, and I believe, I'm not sure if it is Keiko specifically that has all the, all the say here or if it is a group effort, but yes, it is, it is the scribes who have, uh, who are putting these chapter breaks uh, and naming the chapters. Well, whoever, someone let me know who's doing it and you'll all get a shout out, even if it's just Keiko. Um, but the, some of these are just outstanding. Well, actually all yeah. of them are, but uh, you know, oops, it's over t- time to overthrow the government uh, was where I pulled up a <laughs> note. And I'm like, who's doing these? Cause I don't remember these when I was actually reading these on the regular site. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Book six consent chapter 47. What can be destroyed by the truth? Uh, and I just want to say that I read almost all of this before I left for uh, my trip to the East Coast almost two weeks ago. So uh, my memory's going to be a little um, stretched here. I'm going to be relying on my notes more than usual. Pretty much the same here, except I didn't go anywhere. But I okay. think as far as I remember, like what happens is like they're, they've got their date coming up, their date night, mm-hmm. and they spend a lot of time talking about the date night, meta talking about the talking about it. And then she has to run off to talk to a cleric before they do the... Uh, Think of some perverse way of saying like the horizontal monster mash or something. But what would Cheliax call it? I think something gross by the end of the episode. Oh, wait, uh, the so, good deed. Because, you know, I could imagine like, you know, religious really nutjobs calling it the evil deed or something, right? Okay, yeah, okay. So to them, since good is, you know, bad. Yeah. All right. Close enough. That's, that's all I'm going to I don't. Nah, I don't think so. I think they're going to continue to say that like sex is evil, but evil is a thing you want to do. It's the. So you should be having lots of sex. Yeah, yeah. No, I guess I was thinking like fanatics on Earth, uh, religious fanatics would say that sex is bad. Yeah, but I mean, the yeah. glaring is just a reflection of that, right? So sex is still bad, but for Cheliacs, that means you do it. Right, because it's opposite day. <laughs> <laughs> Every day is opposite day on Cheliacs. Hell yeah. All right, so Carissa is talking about Keltham. And, like, sort of really admiring him here. She says that Keltham saw immediately what a tragedy that was, uh, the, the the mess that Galarian is, what a tragedy that it was. And he wanted to teach it to literally everyone, the ability to think straight and not to be a broken, unable to be lawful human. Uh, he wanted to teach it to literally everyone because, not because he's good, he's not. He's a lot more good than people here because his surroundings were, but she can actually tell the difference. And he's not, you don't have to be good to see a mess, a lawful mess, if you'd like, and to wish that the beings in it stood taller, smarter, clarified, and free. 
And I lolled at that because she just described what good is. <laughs> yeah. A, a, a lawless mess that where you want people to do better. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, she, I think she, you so really have to squint is... and do some gymnastics while doing it to say that's bad. Right. Yeah. I, I think this is, this is like the very first thing after I read uh, Gad BB's comment that Krissa isn't evil. And then we read here about her twisting herself in knots to say that, no, no, this good thing that Keltham is doing, that's not good. Good is terrible. It's just very lawful to clean up a mess <laughs> and help people to be better and stronger. Yeah, he's a really lawful dude. Yeah, and it's, you know, let's make people, you know, uh, let's make them worse off. Perfect. We did it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I think that if good people make people better off, uh, bad people don't. I think it's fair. I think that's a fair generalization. I would say that bad people make them worse off. I, I, I would think so, too. You know, it, yeah. you can only set someone on fire so many times where they're just a worse person than they were before, you know? Yeah. And so. And, and he's here, like, trying to make people better people. And she's she's really twisting herself in knots to deny that, to not use that word. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, she has this. Like, this is right after I think she's thinking about, he's also a teenager way, in way over his head and missing half the information he needs. And depending on which skills he grows in which order, he's very possibly going to demand when Chelex comes clean with him that everyone involved in the decision be to deceive him be tortured to death, which would be reasonable. Uh, <laughs> she, she's totally unable to model somebody who's not an evil monster. Yeah. Or I guess someone who's not evil. Uh, she would probably object to the word monster. But yeah. like, if, the, he, he's going to be like, I understand. You know, he's going to yeah. think for for half a second, be like, "No, that makes sense. That'd probably be monitoring me too, right?" Yeah, he's gonna. He's probably going to be a bit upset, but certainly not demanding everyone be tortured to death. Yeah, she's going to be surprised when she starts seeing. You know, it. He he's going to be surprised when he learns what evil is, and she's going to be surprised when he when she learns what he thinks evil is. <laughs> yeah, and you know. I would imagine that if Hermione had only seen evil monsters in her life, she'd also be unable to model someone who isn't that. Hmm. I, I, I could just agree on, I could just disagree on principle that no, because she, cause she's perfectly good. She would just, you know, she was born <laughs> with right. quality and love in her heart, but you know, she's basically a Phoenix. Right. But I think you're, you, you guys are right. And she does give off Hermione vibes and I, I can dig it, but I don't want to taint my Hermione vibes with uh Carissa Savar's evilness, but Ah, if, uh, if she gets corrupted okay. with true love and friendship, then I can I can lean into it. All right, you, yeah, you just think of her as the fallen Hermione. Yeah, my 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 objection is strictly emotional. You guys you guys are right when it comes to I think like literarily. So cool. Well, emotional objections are perfectly va- valid too. This this is a uh, literary analysis, right? That comes in. It, it does. Yeah, literary analysis is just like throwing your emotions at the page and then trying to twist the words so they fit what you want. Perfect. All right. So she is trying to get herself back in the mood to be excited about Keltham because she's got other things uh, bugging her and really drew, pulled the wind out of her sails. So she's saying, yeah, you know what? She wants to sleep with Keltham because she wants everything he has. And she wants to see more pieces of him. And she wants it very, very badly. And she sits with that and lets it fill her up. The longing to see the end of the path. The longing to tell him things and watch him think about them to check the little Keltham that she's building in her head against the real thing and see if she gets it yet. There, that's better. She goes to dinner. And like, the funny thing was that this worked on me too. I, I was also, you know, before this, totally distracted by all the torture and other stuff. And now you want and to like, sleep with Keltham. 
and now I want to sleep with Keltham. Yeah. <laughs> no, but now I'm excited for the to for the relationship to progress again. I was like, oh yeah, yeah this is what what I want when I am excited about relationships. That's I'm I'm on board. Good job. Good knowing humans. Good writing. I like it too. It was it was well done, and I'm glad that you pulled it out because it landed better or landed landed uh, more strongly the second time that I saw it. Because yeah, I mean, like she was distracted because earlier, you know, her her god talks to her, you know, through two intermediaries. But like, oh my god, he's he knows me, and like that's her biggest priority right now. She's not thinking about getting dicks down, right? Mm-hmm. But she's like, well, hold on, I can still be excited about other stuff, and I do like this guy. This this is also fun. Okay, this is also still a priority. Good, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. The the uh especially well i guess i own too everyone who we've had a pov of um seems really really uh self-aware and i i totally dig it yeah i do too it makes for more interesting characters they feel more agenty yeah and it, you know it, they make for interesting characters and they they are more agency but like that's just not how most people and how most of us are most of the time right like most of think? us would be like distracted uh you know thinking about mm. the the god stuff and it's true, you know, like, well, yeah, I was thinking about this, but I'm still busy about this and not not have the meta thought of, wait, hold on. I actually I can think about the God stuff tomorrow. I'm, I want to stay excited about the date thing tonight. I think a lot of us come around to that, but it it's not as it's not in the same paragraph of thought. Right. Right. Well, I mean, but as you just pointed out, like we do sometimes think those things and we aren't with these characters like 24 hours a day. We don't see them when they're pooping or when they're doing other boring things. You I just know, get the good sex stuff. yet. So uh, <laughs> she's, oh, she's going to surprise wait. him. Oh my God. Stephen, no, please. I hope not. Please stop. <laughs> hell's for hell's forbid, but we'll see. Oh, um, you, you co- totally derailed my train of thought now. Oh, right. We don't see all this stuff all the time. <laughs> um, so, so if everyone just pulled out the most interesting parts of our day and put them on a page, maybe we would also seem to be far more introspective because, you know, when we're going through the motions, doing the work or whatever, uh, we aren't thinking that, but then we do think the interesting things and that gets put on the page and not all the other stuff. 100%. And if I were to write a story starring me, I would make myself look smart, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah. Smarter and sexier. Maybe funnier too. You know, it's always easier, I think, to to do all those things when you have like time to think about it and, and draft. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we don't have time to do that because we got to keep rolling. So um, you said that you predicted Yesh will pull this quote. Yes. Huh. Neat. Oh yeah, I put that in my in my notes, and I put it in one other place too. Oh, neat. Awesome. And okay. I was right on both counts. <laughs> <laughs> so the quote is: uh, Somebody says, like, um, I don't know, how you doing? What's up? One of those things where uh, a, a common pleasantry, right? In the U.S., it's very often, "How are you doing?" and you reply, "Fine." Uh, Keltham replies, "Nope." I, I do you remember what exact thing that he asked was. was uh, asked. She, she asked because uh, he seemed distracted. She said, "You okay?" Ah, okay, right. And Keltham says, "Nope," because in Dothalon, there's no pleasantries that you're meant to respond to with lies. And if there were, the people would revolt against their language and start over. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, I assume that if they do see someone and don't particularly care how they're doing they just say hi instead of you know are you okay so that's kind of cool uh it it reminded me of playing mystic messenger which was a phone dating game thing uh korean game and when you're you're playing a girl and you know there's various harem of boys and you get to end up with one of them but every single one of them would frequently start their conversation with have you eaten yet and it really bugged me i was like 
why are you monitoring this girl's eating habits? This seems really shitty of you. Why is this just okay in the random dating ga- dating game? Can I, can I take a guess? A romantic thing. Please do. Because then it's an excuse to invite them out to a meal. No. Oh, so uh, what, what do we got? It, like, it was just randomly dropped in the beginning. And lots of times there was no no response that made sense. It was just something like, hi, you know? Turns out, have you eaten yet is just a common way to say hello. Like when we say, how you doing? Hmm. Because there was a time a few hundred years ago where there was a major famine and the best indication of whether someone was having a good day or not was just whether they'd had some calories that day. And it turned into a shorthand way of just saying hi. And it it stayed around in the culture. So when they translated the game, they literally translated, have you eaten yet? Rather than the equivalent of hi or something that would make more sense to, to a reader like me. That's fun. I like that. And I like how mm, language artifacts, you know, stay in like that. Yeah. Um, I think it was comedian Tom Segura who said that there are two answers to how are you doing? Good and fine. And if you're doing <laughs> terribly, the answer is fine. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, it's, that's just how society is. You know, mm-hmm. it, if I, you know, I, I took my, I took my cat, Zelda, who I got before I played Tears of the Kingdom, by the way. We got her in December 2019. That was her name at the shelter. That's part of how we knew it was fate that we get her. Um, took her to get her nails, to get a mani-pedi today. Because uh, I can't do it because I'm scared. It's 10 bucks to do it at Petco. Um, cool. And, you know, I said, how are you doing to the person? If she had said, oh my God, you know, I, I'm, you know, it, this has been a really hard month or something. And like, we just got into it. That would suck. Right. I mean, maybe you shouldn't have said, how you doing then? Uh, I, I, if <laughs> maybe I, it'll if happens, train you out of that habit. Exactly. Over time. <laughs> if it happens enough, then I'll have to think of some other way to greet people. But when yeah. I was getting my last haircut, you know, I was like, how are you doing? Oh man. You know, my, my, my lease is up because my roommate's moving out and I can't find a place to live because they want three times, uh, the month, you know, the annual rent for salary and, uh, no, I, no one makes that. And like, she went into this whole thing about how hard it was to find a place to live. And I was like, I just wanted to, you know, I was hoping you'd just say good. How's yours? But <laughs> I, it's, you know, and we, we got into talking about it, but it, it was, uh, sometimes it's unexpected, right? Was your interaction, was your life experience for that day better due to the fact that you did get into it? No, but oh, I, I'm glad okay. I was there to, if she needed somebody to vent at, um, yeah. But at the end of the day, I, I, you know, I was, and that the, during, during the haircut and, and thereafter, I was worried that like, I hope that she found something that's working out because this sounds really stressful Yeah. and you know, it having shaky grounds on like, where am I going to live? That that's a nightmare. And to think that mm-hmm. I just talked to somebody who like might be, you know, in a really tight bind like that, that's a drag. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm happy that I was there. I did have like the emotional stamina that day to like, you know, take that so it wasn't like you know it it crushed my day or anything um so i'm happy that i was there for an event at yeah yeah i think it might be good for us to get better at finding some way to tell people when their their conversation is being hard to to process i was stuck in a car recently with someone who just like was just talking how terrible everything is and his life is awful and just constant grading after i think like 20 minutes i was like I don't want to hear about this anymore. We should stop talking about this because it is really harshing my vibe or whatever. You know, <laughs> I, I I cannot take this, and uh, I, I'd rather sit in silence for a while if that's what we should have to do. Because, and I'm glad I did. But you know, it'd be nicer if there was a way to say that more quickly and easily. Yeah, I agree, and that that's why also when I ask like how someone's doing, if they if they just try and say like they try to run past it, I will try to catch them. Like, hold on, I actually do want to know how you're doing. 
Uh, you know, it, it, unless it's like whatever the cashier at Petco or something, right? And it's just kind of like a quick transaction. Unless yeah. I'm using that person as a that person as a means to an end, then uh, I do actually want to know, right? Yeah. Kelton then quotes that which can be destroyed by the truth should be, and thinks in his head about like how there's nuances to this. One of the things he thinks is sometimes it makes sense to not push a truth on others if you think it'll hurt them. And I don't know how to feel about that, how I feel about that, because that sounds on face value, that sounds true. Like you don't want to hurt people. Like if I think lifting a certain amount of weight is going to hurt someone rather than help make them stronger, I'm not going to push that weight onto them. But I think it's a dangerous thing to decide for someone else, oh, this truth is going to hurt you, so I'm not going to tell you. Like there's so many ways that can very quickly spiral into abuse and even like not intentionally just kind of like people are good at deceiving themselves too i i don't think i would want someone to make that decision for me just give me the fucking truth and it's my it's my issue whether i can handle it or not it used to not be uncommon for doctors to lie to people especially women that they had a terminal illness yeah uh it, it, it's like well they they wouldn't handle it and they would stop doing their their life properly so i'll just you know i'll i'll handle this knowledge for them um, kind of fucked up i agree i this is the first like really hint that jumped out to me that i think dathalon might not be as ideal as we think we keep thinking it is mm-hmm. at least the, the idea of the keepers yeah they seem really gatekeepy about uh like lots of knowledge yeah. and even stuff that doesn't seem all that harmful yeah. you know like i i think that there are some truths that you know if you push on somebody you might hurt them and it this sounds like the kind of like condescending. I think we talked about this before, you know, back in the new atheist days of, you know, some of those, the pro-religion arguers would say, well, of course you guys can be fine without it. And, you know, maybe even I could too, but a lot of the masses out there, they need religion, you know? Mm-hmm. I and, remember that. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it, that seems so condescending to say, well, you know, you and I are tough, but they need it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, I don't. I haven't talked to everyone I know about my thoughts on the possible, uh, not to pull my punch, the end, you know, on the possible end of the world, right? Yeah. Um, just because it's it's a thing that I think might happen, you know. And one thing I can totally do is just wait to see how the next couple of years go to give me some more evidence before I start talking to them about it for real. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if if it seems like we're definitely headed for oblivion, I'm going to tell them to stop to stop saving and start spending and you know have fun and do things. Um, mm-hmm. but they're, you know, I'm not gonna, I don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? So that sounds like a truth that could, well, that's also not a truth. That's a speculation, right? Yeah. I mean, the truth is, I think that might happen, right? Yeah. That, that's a truth. But, um, you know, like th- this comes, comes up later, but like the fact that, you know, some people are into stuff that hurts in a sexual context, right? Right. And the keepers kept that one tight for reasons. It seems like they're, they might have some times where they kind of pull that really quickly, you know? Free will is another example. You, it's totally doable to get over the, the awkward hurdle of it, but there, there's definitely like an existential crisis moment somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah, absolutely. But you gotta. Do you? People- I would rather have that choice myself. Maybe with the caveat that, you know, hey, warning, this is one of those things that might fuck you up for a while. If you're thinking about it, probably have uh, have some help or an advisor on hand, but... See, if you I, want I, the truth, here it is. I'm way too fucking Ravenclaw to like ever turn down, you know, a spoiler. Like, you know, if someone spoiler tagged that for me, I'd be like, I'm clicking that. Are you kidding me? You know, share this info hazard with me. Um. <laughs> I mean, if I think the culture matters, I'm I'm pretty um, safe around drug use. I think like I I read up about 
drugs I'm going to take before taking them. I start out low, like, and I know a lot of people aren't like that, but I feel like that I was brought up in, I don't know, exposed to a culture that is very safe about that kind of thing, or as much as you can be with those, uh, those sorts of chemicals. And I think if a culture had similar norms about various um, info, info hazards, whatever, various things that might harm you if you know them, then you might, you know, adopt that same kind of thing where you say, eh, maybe, um, maybe I'll wait until there's a confessor nearby before I try to think about this thing. Yeah, I, I think that there's definitely a time and a place for some conversations. Well, I like that. You know, there was a interesting fan theory in our Discord. I don't know if uh, it was unique to our Discord, if this came up somewhere else, but uh, Dothalon may in fact be a totalitarian dystopia, and most people don't know it because life is great and uh, they're they're doing good and and everything's fine on the surface. But uh, the keepers are basically the human equivalent of actual lizard people where they're secretly controlling everything and deciding who can think what and manipulating the public for their own personal nefarious ends. I thought that was really delightful. I, I like, like this the idea. Theory. Aren't they all way yeah. too smart for that though? They would all just yell now and kill all the keepers. I, the keepers are much smarter as everyone keeps saying, like they are listen to how Keltham talks about them. They, they, uh, they might be legit smarter humans that are controlling all the less smart humans. Yeah. I, I like the idea. I think I, I like it a lot just to nitpick a little light. I don't like, I mean, it does sound like suboptimal, but I think calling it a, a dystopia <laughs> when everyone's know, and then, happy, then he lands on Cheliax. <laughs> right. <laughs> if Dothalon was a dystopia, then what is this? <laughs> right. All right. Totalitarian utopia then. Yeah. T- yeah. I, I can, I can dig that. I, you know, honestly, that wouldn't be the end of, that wouldn't be the worst case scenario for here either. I would like the choice and I'd like to be informed, but like if that would also threaten the, the, the utopia, then you know what? Lie to me. Whatever. That's my quick thought. Mm. Don't at me on that one. Um, <laughs> cool. All right. What do we got here? Keltham is having his existential crisis here. He says that he's not sure he can be the Keltham that he was at lunchtime uh, later tonight. The Keltham who's just running straight ahead and doing the thing because that has different results in Dothalon than in Galarian. And I saw that, but I also don't know yet what other kind of person I can possibly be. I don't know how much you wanted that Keltham you saw before instead of a more unsettled one. This is really interesting when I read this now because... I remember reading this before Vibe Camp and feeling like really feeling this, the same awfulness of like, I used to be this person. I was in a different world. I could run ahead. I would do the thing. It was awesome. And now I'm a different person. And I don't know if you want that person. It's a legit crisis of being a person. And it hit me in the feels. And now that I've had kind of like a a psyche reset, I'm like, Oh, I don't empathize with that nearly as much anymore. My my comment would no longer be "God damn it." It would be more like, "Yeah, that does kind of suck, bro." I hope I hope you can get through this relatively quickly. So not so much identifying um, with it, but uh, still getting where he's coming from, but more distantly. Yeah, yeah, I like it too, and it, it's. Um, I mean, I think everyone can relate to that. That's part of what makes it good writing. But also, like, part of it's just kind of funny because most of us have these you know, over the course of whatever months or years. Right. And then you look back and be like, man, I wish I was like, I was, you know, in summer when I was, you know, in 10th grade or whatever. Right. Remember Mm. summer vacations, um, you know, sleeping in sleepovers and all that stuff, like all that carefreeness. And it's like, I wish I was that person. Um, but he's just talking about like two hours ago. 
you know so what it, you can it, it kind of makes it funny but you yeah. know there are there are definitely things that happen you know here on earth without magic that can change who you are in less time than that so yeah yeah well in less time than two hours yeah yeah you, i suppose actually yeah. yeah something something terrible yeah usually yeah maybe something great too it can it can certainly suck when yeah you've been shattered and now the person who thought you were one person doesn't have that person anymore and you're like well i'm i'm sorry this is who i am now i can't do anything about that if anyone wants to test and see if handing somebody a duffel bag full of million dollars changes who they are as a person i volunteer as tribute oh damn it i, I wanted to volunteer first beat you to it <laughs> okay fine <laughs> maybe i'll Start be the kind of person people. who wants to share it Aye, all right <laughs> i'll take that gamble uh carissa says that an existential crisis is the thing where you think too much about some question humans aren't good at thinking about and end up having the mental equivalent of the thing where you bite your lip <laughs> and then have to avoid every time you swallow biting that exact spot again while it's swollen i love that analogy i also like this analogy and one of the things i really liked about it is that chris is just like yeah man you're having an existential crisis that happens people have those all the time they suck but we know about them and like Kelvin is so terribly affected by by his getting two points of wisdom and suddenly thinking all these deeper things about himself, because apparently in Dothalan, you just don't have existential crises. They, they're completely immunonaive to, to the existential crisis virus. And it's kind of hilarious that he thought the problem was that people in Galarian were missing a part of them when the issue was that he's missing the part that uh, has calluses against existential crises. It's uh, it's it's the fact that he's really naive, and that's kind of endearing. I hadn't made that explicit connection yet, and I think you're exactly spot on. Uh, oh, well, thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's they they get existential crises since they're old enough to learn how to talk and told that you're going to be tortured when you go to hell, right? <laughs> right, yeah. And the closest they have on Dothalon is the Drowning Pond Thought Experiment, <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, a non-negligible uh, existential crisis kind of thing. Well, it's not exactly existential, right? Yeah, uh, it, it's it's a it's a bit of a crisis, uh, but I feel like that's probably the most stressful thing they go through. Right. <laughs> well, I don't know. We get to some cool ass shit that they have to do in their childhood later. That's true. But as far as like what? just the like, shit, what do I do with my life? Am I am I good enough? You know, is this what's the point yes. of all this? You know, I, yeah, I don't exactly. I don't get the impression that they run with that a lot. Like, he, you know, he's he's some kid. I don't know. I think they say he's 18. He's like, nope, I'm going to have uh, um, 144 kids with 12 wives and that's my that's my life plan and it's like that that's a stupid plan <laughs> and i think i pointed that when he first said it right it's not not that it's unachievable but like that's not happiness right hmm. but like that, that yeah. so he thought that like that yeah. that that's that's not the that's not the life plan of someone who's overcome an existential crisis right right yeah but yeah. uh it, you know that just means that he has room to grow not that he's dumb well it could mean that he's he's got gaps you know in in his wisdom but uh, right. i wonder what his wisdom score is versus what it went to I mean, it probably tripled. <laughs> wouldn't, okay, so wouldn't that be something? He's got like 18 int and, and two wisdom. <laughs> right. And so he gets two more wisdom. He's like, boom, mind blown. Yeah. I wonder, because uh, it did seem like such a huge jump for him, right? Yeah. But it could have been four more wisdom that he got. I I forget how much it boosted him. But in any case, yeah, yeah. good good call out. Hmm uh this was kind of interesting keltham says that somebody his age 18 is supposed to save at least a year's expenses which is fucking impressive at 18 to have an entire year's salary saved up already and i guess that's what happens when you have a society that has defeated rent seeking so that any gains in uh, productivity just go back to the to the people that's fucking amazing 
I think there's probably also the fact that he's allowed to work before graduating high school, right? And he probably gets paid for pulling kids out of ponds or whatever it is, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, sure, but I don't think I don't think that explains very much of it at all. Like, we allow people to to work uh, starting in mid high school usually. Yeah, I, I mean, it's shit work. That's that's true. I don't know. It's I, I just think it's the fact that they they have Georgia's land taxes. They have other things that defeat rent seeking and uh, and the capture. Of, uh, of any productivity gains. Well, I mean, like, and a, and a year's worth of expenses might literally be like the spending power of $2,000, you know, right. just because yeah. food is be- probably cost next to nothing. Housing costs next to nothing. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that a, you know, what they actually have for expenses for what they need is probably next to, next to nothing. Yeah. Like yeah. why should those things cost anything? When you have a society that's post scarcity, they shouldn't. Right, and if they're not post scarcity. They're just sane, I guess. Well, they're 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 post scarcity. They're not like you know we have everything in infinite supply post scarcity, but like they're not like oh we're running low on food or you know room, right? I mean, I think post scarcity has a specific definition, and it does mean that you have an infinite supply of any material goods. Yeah, fair enough. And I'm, I'm misusing possibly, it, but they, yeah, possibly they, an infinite supply of energy. I'm not sure. They are. They're not living in a scarce society. They're not yeah, living okay, in a society fair. with scarcity. Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Post-scarcity yeah. is a special thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he also mentions that there's entire cities of actors that do nothing but play out unending elaborate fantasies that people can pay to wander into for a day or a year. And that is fucking dope as hell. Oh, my <laughs> God. That was the second thing I highlighted that Sidney would love this. Ah, uh, okay. Yes. Um. Yeah, I, I think that'd be... I mean... We have weak versions of that, and you know, depending on how dedicated you are, we probably have medium versions of that here on Earth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the farthest most of us go is like Ren Fair, yeah, where you can put on a costume and an accent if you want all day, and people won't laugh. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. I would say that Burning Man is kind of this sort of thing too. I, I haven't been, so I can't compare. I are they playing out elaborate fantasies the whole time, where it's like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna do space Vikings over here, right? Everyone commit. Um, and if you go over there, I, you know, you're surprised that everyone's, you know, acting like space Vikings. There are some places that have some stuff like that. But by elaborate fantasy, I mean more the fact that they're role playing a post scarcity society for a week, <laughs> which is awesome. And it, it's all the more role play in the fact that they're doing it in a place where like there's not enough water to shower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, right on. Yeah. I mean, it sure sounds fun, doesn't it? Yeah. That'd be one hell of a vacation. Yeah. Keltham finally finds out that Galarian sex work is very much like, uh, you know, sex work in medieval Europe. It's shit. And uh, that sucks. Sad, frowny. And not entirely unlike the worst sex work still done today. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, you know, far. They're, they're far from the 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 ideal that Keltham keeps describing and like assuming is obvious, you know, which is basically like everyone's Ayla. Right. Right. Um, and it's like, no, man. <laughs> If we're not, women aren't allowed to, you know, uh, have jobs or own a house. Like you're saying that they would just go out and whatever, find a king and have that king give her $2,000 for sex. Like, what are you kidding me? The king's (laughs) just going to grab her and have sex with her. And he's like, why wouldn't people revolt? Like, that's insane. Uh, Mm. He's, he's uh, struggling to understand like what a bad equilibrium can look like. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, he's being exposed to like one for the first time here in Galarian, but like he keeps being surprised. And of course he is like, you know, you can't see a few examples and then assume you can, you know, paint the rest of the picture. Right. When it's all a whole alien landscape. 
mm-hmm. but it's it's fun watching his constant uh like i just kind of like imagine like this meter you know just like ticking down and mm-hmm. it's like you know he keeps thinking it's the bottom but then it's like oh it keeps going <laughs> right you have not even begun to reach the bottom right he's going to think that he's seen like w- once he sees slavery he's going to be like okay i've seen the bottom and yeah. he's like oh but i haven't seen what they do to slaves like when they're not forcing them to work at whip point like they're they're just they're cutting them in half for fun oh my god like yeah. he, he's going to be uh when he finally sees the full picture he's going to lose his mind yeah and at some point he's going to see hell and we're going to see hell and it's probably going to be worse than than i'm imagining already i think you're probably right I liked, uh, he's talking about, um, the, uh, about STIs, the, the contagious illnesses that we still have in Dathalon because we eliminated anything that we didn't know how to treat easily, probably long enough ago that happened before the screen. Mm. And that was just because we talked about the screen a few times here. And Mm. I think like, I'm still curious what the explanation is, but I think like narratively it makes sense because if, if Kelpham just had like a background understanding of all of human develop, like uh, technological development, um, he wouldn't have it, his, his problems would be a lot easier to solve here. Right. Yeah. What he has instead is the tools to like reinvent the wheel. He doesn't know how to make one. Yeah. Um, and like meta, meta narratively, Eliezer doesn't know everything and doesn't want to write a character who, who knows everything. So, hmm. uh, cause then you have to look, look everything up all the time. Right. Right, and yeah. that also just seems boring. So he has, you know, Keltham who can still struggle to solve problems, uh, even though they're like solved, but solving them from scratch is different. Yeah. So I think it's cool. I I think so too. You know, it kind of reminds me of the whole uh, the whole keepers as lizard people idea, and also the fact that there's only one billion people on Earth. Maybe the screen was when the keepers took over, massacred, you know, seven eighths of the world population, and then just made all the. Uh, the background history disappear. Anyone who who tried to talk about it would get massacred as well, and uh, that's uh, that's how they impose control. That sounds distinctly plausible. Nice. All right. Uh, I still don't think it's true, but I, I like this this conspiracy theory we're building up. Totally. Speaking of cool theories, hmm. your uh, oh next yes, point. yeah. Uh, so Keltham is wondering uh, if Dothalon used to have gods. And that's what the great screen is meant to protect because <laughs> apparently the gods like get more powerful if you believe in them. And at some point they had to kill all the gods and then just erase all memory of them so that they didn't come back. I think that's a really good fucking theory considering what knowledge Keltham has. And I mean, might even be true as far as we know. Is that a, an inference from like earth gods or do they say that in the story that gods are stronger the more you believe in them. Isn't that in the Galarian thing? Okay. So I, I just assumed that as a background um, knowledge of any setting that has gods, because that's a very common thing. Uh, but I don't actually remember if we actually if we've had that confirmed on Galarian. Have we not? I I don't think so. You're only prob- because they would probably have to have answered why they don't teach about Ottomans in every elementary school classroom across the planet. Because you'd want that god to be like well known and believed in, right? Oh, not necessarily super worshipped. Strong. Well, you don't necessarily want the god to. Uh, I, I do think it's usually worship rather than knowledge, but you know, you can't worship something you don't know about. And you're right. It is just, it can't just be knowing about because that that's what every God is conniving for is, you know, I want the attention, you know, you, thou shall have no other gods before me kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 You're right. I think their, their power comes from being believed in, which is common God trope for sure. I assume it's probably true here. I just wasn't sure. Yeah. I mean, now that you mentioned it, I'm not sure either. That may not have actually been said in the story and might just be something I'm importing as a as a thing I've taken from other fantasy. Because I, I kind of see them more as like forces of nature, like the gods on Erb, than, yeah. you know, 
um, whatever. Uh, there's a handful of supernatural episodes where they encounter some lesser gods, and those are just more funny. And you know, they they complain about, oh well, back when people believed in me, I was way stronger. Now I've got to do like you know mm. this piddly shit. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, I I I do think that given what we know about this world, this is a really good theory for Kelpham to have. I love it. With yeah, that, I mean, and it would be really cool, and it would work. Mm-hmm. It, it clearly did, right? If this is what happened. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. He thinks a bit more about the great screen and uh, like how hard it would be to do. He says it would take a huge effort to keep not just the phenomenon, but the physics behind it out of all the textbooks. But that's the magnitude of effort Dothalon put into the great screen. There remains the unexplained question of why Keltham does not know any standard speculations about hypothetical super agents. Hmm. Um, yeah, so this is interesting because I don't know. I don't know how long in the past we were already thinking about hypothetical super agents. Uh, but at least since I was a child, people were thinking about AIs. Um, since, Keltham, since the early, since the mid-century, at least when, you know, sci-fi was taking off, you know? Yeah. Asimov's stuff, yeah. they they were boring super intelligences by today's standards, but they were super intelligences. All right. Like the last question was a Asimov story, which centered around a super intelligence at right. one point. Yeah. So if Keltham is not aware of any standard speculations about hypothetical super agents, it may in fact have been gods that they're getting rid of, or possibly the idea of AIs. That uh that maybe that's what the great screen is supposed to protect humanity from and maybe the keepers are secretly working on alignment in the background and suppressing any knowledge that something like ai could even exist so that the humans don't try to race and create it i i like it and it is it's one more of those things like they didn't teach them what it's like you know they, they never newcomb boxed uh thought experimented them right yeah because the or maybe they did i don't know we haven't heard about it yet though well, but omega is a super agent or at least a super intelligence oh, or you know maybe constrained not really you know, they, they could do it with technology and say, we scanned your brain and they can just rule out Omega completely and still do the thought experiment. Right. They would have done it differently, though. They Definitely not with an Omega. Yeah. Neat. But yeah, it's interesting that they don't have, you know, stuff like that. And he's, you know, he's thinking like, as soon as I heard about gods, these are the kinds of things we could have hypothesized about and, you know, had some interesting thoughts about. Uh, yeah. And yet no one there does that. It makes it interesting or it makes me wonder that... He says that's the that's the magnitude of effort Dothalon put into the great screen. Like, are they allowed to look into why this happened? I'm certain that not. I'm certain not too, but he he constantly talks about how they can do whatever they want. Except for try to look behind the great screen. Well, but he doesn't I mean he doesn't say that, but we can infer it. But isn't that interesting that that's like a blind spot for him? Granted, mm -hmm. he's he's decided not to keep talking about the screen in you know until he gets a better picture of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, you know, like the next thing Krista says is like, it's interesting that you you can have sex workers, you know, if they're also allowed to do other stuff. And he says, I'm not sure if there's literally anybody on my planet who's, quote, not allowed to do other stuff. Um, yeah. The idea that like someone might be restricted in some way is so insane to him that there might not be anyone on the planet that he can think of that might be in that situation, right? Um, but then he just doesn't even occur to him that you can't even find the phenomenon in textbooks that might lead to a great screen breach. Because it's just so part of his water, his air. Yeah, that's that's a you know the inverse of like the the lizard people did it to to destroy the gods. It could be the gods did it to whatever isolate themselves from Dothalon. <laughs> that's because the Dothalonis were getting too close to overthrowing them all. 
I mean, maybe. It could be the green screen is like the, the Tower of Babel for the gods. Yeah. Neat. We'll see. I was thinking, remember uh, Three Worlds Collide? Oh, yeah. Uh, how they, awesome, how they turned the sun, uh, it, they had a tech that could make any sun go nova, uh, regardless of its size. It like was pretty like, darn easily. Yeah, when, they, when they're getting the tech dump from the super happies who are technologically advanced, they're like, hold on, this number is way lower than we thought it would be. It seems really mm-hmm. easy to make a sun go supernova. Why did they lie to us? Well, mm-hmm. we don't want to tell people. The answer is yeah. obvious. They don't want to tell people that it was really easy to destroy our to destroy our sun. Yeah, the keepers like about that, right? <laughs> I, that th- the first time I heard about the great screen, I was thinking, I wonder if this is the you know, if the uh, three worlds collide is Dothalon in the future, and uh, this is the point where they discovered that they can make suns go supernova, and so they great screened off that idea and all the physics that could lead to it. It seems like they did more than that, uh, like just just that one piece of knowledge. Yeah, but it seems like it could be that sort of thing. It's like, all right, we're getting too close to letting people. I think there's an example Yudkowsky used somewhere of like, uh, you know, it, imagine if making a nuclear weapon was as easy as putting sand in a microwave. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, all right, well, we definitely have to erase the knowledge of sand and microwaves from everybody, right? Yeah, and we've got yeah. to make it impossible for them to invent microwaves because they're not all that hard to to make when you know whatever radio physics, right? That's true. You wouldn't need a great screen to hide the three worlds collide tech. Well, you need they, you need some. They they put in a a, a medium screen. Yeah, it, it it was a screen that people weren't aware of, though. Whereas everyone on Dothalon knows about the great screen. That's a good point. So yeah, it has to be bigger. The yeah. stuff that they hit on Dothalon, because everyone knows that the past is gone. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not like right. I can't find the second edition of my of my high school physics textbook anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have one. I must have just misplaced it. Yeah. How strange that every physics textbook in the world has gone missing. Eh, I guess they were misplaced. Right. All right. So we learn a thing about um, the most high status and high attractiveness people in Dothalon here. And I, okay, we don't actually learn it. We had learned this uh, quite a few weeks back in a previous reading. But at this point, it's finally laid out explicitly for Carissa, where uh, Keltham tells her you can't buy some very hot people with money. You've got to have done something they think is worthy. And the people who are obviously worthy... If they're willing to acknowledge you publicly as a fuck buddy, they're validating to the world that you are that hot and that good at sex. And then you're somebody who gets to decide whether some lesser incredibly rich person is cool enough to meet your standards. So basically, like, the really hot people kind of say, this person is so fucking cool. They're one of the best people in the world, and I'm fucking them. And conversely, the really incredibly... Um, accomplished people are like, yeah, you know what? That person is so hot. I'm fucking them and validating their hotness. It, it you know, it, it is what we got from before from from what he told us about Dothalon. But it's cool to have that put forward explicitly, uh, especially by someone who's a fan, because like reading it, it sounds both really awesome and really terrifying. And I don't know if I love it or hate it. I guess it's mostly awesome, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's jfk having sex with marilyn monroe yeah um you know it, the the downside of course is like the the inverse is like well if you're not accomplished and pretty then you don't get to have sex with pretty people unless you can pay them enough and then I mean, even then you can't have sex with the prettiest because they're not they're not taking money the thing is that's already true in the real world right yeah but the real world can suck too <laughs> i'm not <laughs> i'm not saying that, that that is a point of of suckiness but i'm, I'm just saying that that's not a the fact that it's here doesn't mean it's an argument that it's that it doesn't suck. A lot of the oh, stuff he throws okay, shade okay. at is stuff that's here on Earth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say about why it's terrifying? I mean, it feels a little terrifying because 
I don't feel like I'm terribly accomplished and I would feel like I have to become much more accomplished in my life and I just don't want it anymore. Does any of that make sense? Yes, but hmm, I don't know how much of this is like podcast content, but I mean, I feel like while you might not have a harem of girls kicking your door down, I don't know if you're like exactly, <laughs> you know, starved for attention, right? Well, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, you, maybe, maybe you're at a point where you don't want to accomplish more because you're like, I've, I've, I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to climb Kilimanjaro. I've, I'm happy climbing, climbing this 14er instead, you know? Right, right. Yeah. I, I've reached the saturation point and I'm pretty darn happy with, uh, with what I'm getting out of it as it is. Yeah. Like, the, like, hmm. you know, e- even if Marilyn Monroe did, no, well, actually if she did nothing, but you know, have sex with other people like nonstop to, you know, to, if she did nothing but have sex with high status people, then she would lose status and that would, that would make her less valuable in that game. Right. Uh, I mean, in this world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In I'm ta- our world. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm using. Marilyn Monroe and JFK okay. for my hypothetical. And okay. so there, there is a saturation point where like the, yeah, I see what you're saying. The most desirable only have time for, you know, a very, very, very few select people. Right. Right. And so uh, unless you're going to make it your life's goal to have sex, like the prettiest person that is currently super unattainable, then what, which sounds kind of like a narrow life ambition. So, yeah. It sounds kind of lame. Yeah. A little bit. All right. Okay. You've convinced me. All right. So Carissa says something really weird at this point, and I think you got to help me out here. Carissa says, I don't think how hot someone is relates very directly to how much I expect to gain from having sex with them, and therefore how motivated I am to do it. Is she saying she doesn't get pleasure from sex with attractive people? She says that that's not why she's motivated about it. Isn't that just the definition of hotness? That like, hotness is what motivates you to want to have sex with people? Uh, Expect to gain from having sex with them. And therefore, how motivated I am to do it. Uh, it might not be the most might not be the most important factor. Maybe it's skill, or maybe with all the weird sex shit she does, you know, they can never actually see each other, right? So there's, the hotness doesn't matter. Um, well, but if it is skilled, then the the most skilled dom in the world would be extremely hot to you, even if you know they're not like as physically attractive as you would like. Right. So I don't think this is going to be one of those things where, like, you know, one of the listeners points out like the very obvious thing we're confused about. Uh, right. I don't think be like, oh. how hot someone is relates very directly to how much I expect to gain for having sex with them. I think that might be the thing is gain for having sex with them. So he's talking about it in terms of social capital. If you're one of the elites who, and I don't mean to objectify Marilyn Monroe. I know nothing about yeah. her except for the JFK thing. They did a movie that I don't think did that well starring uh, Ana de Armas, the, uh, the nurse from Knives Out. And was it Joe DiMaggio? Dude, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, had sex with Marilyn Monroe. I, oh, okay. I only know that I, from an episode of Seinfeld. So um, anyway, I, I, I guess I'm, and again, I'm not trying to rectify the person, but someone might not have sex with Marilyn Monroe because she might not be, she might not even be the most pretty, but she is, uh, you get a lot of social capital for being on the short list. People who get to say, I had sex with Marilyn Monroe and I'm Eskimo yeah. Brothers, the JFK, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, she's, I don't think that that she's thinking of sex in the terms of social capital. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Eskimo Brothers. Thank you. I thought I thought you were going to let me run right past that. <laughs> yeah, what's what, what is this? It, it was a joke. I can't remember the, the full context. Was on a TV show called The League, which was all right. That was the guy's term for two guys who had sex with the same person. They're now Eskimo huh. Brothers. I don't know why he called it that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. It, it also all lent right. itself to wordplay because then he wanted to make a database of it. The EBDB. Um, ah. So. Okay. Okay. So. Okay. And then, like, you it could use the database to, you know, establish a, a user base for like a an Airbnb style network, the EBDBB and B. Nice. Yeah. Okay. 
That, so like, I guess what she's saying is that there's, that that's not current motivations that she has is like to have sex with somebody to be like, oh my God, I had sex with this person, right? She does it for fun. I'm just confused by the sentence. So she is motivated to have sex with hot people is what she's saying. And that how hot someone is, is not related to how much social capital she'll gain from having sex with them. I think it's that when she says, I expect to gain, I think that she's not concerned with the social capital. All right. So she's talking about pleasure then. Probably. But then how hot someone is, is, is literally, you know, what you expect to gain in terms of pleasure when you have sex with them, unless we're using different definitions of hotness here. I think that she's trying to, to talk about social capital in terms of gains there. And so she's like, I'm not, that's not really what I think about when I think about how hot someone is or something. Well, I love the little things that derail us for, for this long. Like, <laughs> I, I'm very but, confused. Let's move on. No, I mean, I, I am too. But I, I think, uh, I think what it's saying is that she has different priorities than social capital. And I'm sure Keltham might. He still strikes me with strong virgin energy, so I'm not actually sure. But I sort of doubt that the only reason people have sex on Dothalon is social capital. Uh, They probably also do it for fun. But oh, I'm sure. I think it was just like like at the upper echelons. That's a major kink as well. Is what? I don't think it's fair to call it a kink because I think everybody's attracted to status. Thank God. I was going to be like, because I thought I understood what this this word meant, and then you threw it out in a context that was like, hold on, this doesn't sound like any. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I think the word kink has evolved a bit over the past couple decades to just mean something people find hot. We can just weird. say evolved or diluted. Yes, diluted. Yeah. yeah, it got turned into Nazi. Right. It got Nazified. Nazified. The downside is that like there's still actual Nazis with like the flags and everything. And there's still actual is, kinks. Yeah, that is a downside. And now we don't have words. <laughs> the downside is that like there's still actual Nazis with like the flags and everything. And there are still actual kinks, but like, you know, oh, having, having sex with smart people is my kink. And it's like, that's not a kink, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Having sex with smart people, but you make them act like stupid people, you know, sex with them. That's, that's a kink, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Think, think deviantly. (sighs) Um, I, I agree with you. Yeah. My kink is that I like to have sex with people who I know and feel an emotional connection with. (laughs) You filthy dog. (laughs) <laughs> okay so this Carissa. is supposed to be a family program <laughs> <laughs> they're talking about uh the pharaoh of whatever town who just like has his 200 hotties and he can just be walking through a town and be like oh her and just grab her and like now she's part of the harem whether she likes it or not right right oh did you get that that's abadar's pharaoh abadar uh i'm sure i read that and then it totally forgot so thank you for reminding me because she yeah. she even has that i remember she like and I don't know if I'm allowed to tell him he's Abadar's yet. Um, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. He's going to have some feelings about it. Abadar runs things uh, mm-hmm. or allows things to be run in his name. But apparently he identifies with uh, Keltham, which means that this this Pharaoh business is going to be uh, clashy. His inability to grasp like what it's like to live you know, somewhere shitty. Mm-hmm. And he was like, suppose that the hypothetical Dothalanis had the false sense that things had always been like this for decades, where they had like, lived with this Pharaoh and everything, right? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't even take until whenever, whenever the pharaoh first ordered a woman for her to go. Wait, why am I obeying this order when, I, when I'd rather not obey it? <laughs> Which uh, tells me he's, he's lived a very sheltered upbringing. Um, yeah, but then he says uh, somebody would be thinking about city politics first thing when they woke up in the morning, and they'd go, "Wait, why do I have a pharaoh in the first place?" He's like, "Within an hour, they would be pharaohless, right? Wait, they'd be yeah. done." But he just doesn't understand. Like sometimes there are bad people with military might who will smash your babies if you don't listen to them. Right? This just hasn't occurred to him. I mean, sort of it does, because then the question is like, well, why would the military obey the orders to smash the babies, right? They they just would not do that. 
And then he goes, okay, then people wake up with the memory that everyone's supposed to kill anyone who talks about removing the pharaoh and so on and so on recursively. He's like, oh, yeah, that's one of the famous theoretical bad equilibria that we get training in how to shit. (laughs) And, And that's when it occurs to him that he is living in this nightmare scenario that is a theoretical thing used in silly thought experiments on uh, Dathalan, and they're living it here. Yeah, the idea of living under like a suboptimal government uh, or like a straight up bad one doesn't occur to him. And like on its face, that's not a dumb question, right? As bad as Stalin was, there are more people that he was, you know, keeping under his heel than there were people in his army. Yeah. Why didn't they all just grab bricks and go for it, right? Right. It's because they all had loved ones that, that would be killed. It's because coordination problems are actually hard in real life. Yeah. And, you know, Voldemort nails one guy's skin to a newsroom and the, and his wife and daughter. And suddenly people are less inclined to write bad things about him in the news. Yeah. And it's like, that's because they'll know they're next. He hasn't seen a really bad person before. <laughs> yes. But it's it's yeah. one thing to have games where you talk about them. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, well, obviously then we'd all just unite at, you know, at the next eclipse and cut his head off. The end, right? And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that that's a nice you know little little game, but it's really hard to do that when there's real stakes. It's really hard to do that when the system is already set up to suppress that as efficiently and brutally as possible. He realizes that at this point, like th- this is when the light goes on, and he's like, um, "If you were supposed to have killed me a few seconds ago, and you are putting your own life in danger not to do that." This would be a great time to casually nod your head, and then I'll censor a lot of my curriculum for here on out. And you got a comment about that. Oh, I just liked how super chilly was. He's not looking over his shoulder to see if she's going for a knife or if security's, you know, rushing in or, you know, kicking the door in to rush his bum, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's, yeah. He's, I think he's like, well, the cat's out of the bag. I just said the thing, right? Anyone mm-hmm. listening already heard me. The fact that I, I'm still alive means that I guess that it's not punishable by death to have just said that. I think it's slightly less than that because he says, you know, he just c- continues talking in a casual tone, not in any kind of obvious whisper. Like when you're doing something that would be illegal like that, the worst thing you want to do is do anything that would be suspicious, right? You just want to keep being as casual as possible. You want to be like, a, like, a, like Han Solo says, just fly casual, right? <laughs> and so just continuing to talk casually, either they already heard you when you were talking casually saying the evil thing and you're doomed as it is. Or they didn't, and if you suddenly change to like a whisper, they're going to be like, oh, what's going on? And they pay attention. But if you just continue talking casually, they continue to ignore you because obviously whatever you're talking about isn't important and doesn't need their attention right now. So, you know, either you're already doomed or you don't draw fucking attention to what's happening. Same reason you don't like freak out when uh, somebody says a curse word around your kid because then the kid is like, oh, wait, what was that word? What, why are they freaking out? If you just completely ignore it, they they don't pick up that it's supposed to be a bad word that they're not supposed to hear. Every time I say bitch, I can get a reaction out of mommy. Hilarious. Exactly. Uh, I agree. And I think that is the, the right strategy. Uh, but whoever's listening isn't just reading their body language. They're also listening to the words, right? He's, he didn't know that, but yes. But if they're being listened to, right? He wouldn't just say, well, they're probably watching through the window and listening to my body language. I think... You're right. He, he's he's being chill about it, but it's also just possible he has no practice in like subterfuge, illegal deception, right? Either they heard what he said and he's doomed or they weren't paying attention, in which case he shouldn't draw attention. That's true, too. Yeah. And Carissa is completely insanely tempted to casually nod her head. <laughs> I read that I, as a goof, right? Me, me too. Okay, I, I thought yeah. that was wonderful. She was just thinking like, it'd be so funny just to, to run with this <laughs> yes. and see what happens. <laughs> troll him and yeah oh man that would be awesome yeah 
but then she explains to him that uh, actually coordination problems are hard. This equilibrium is extremely sticky. Overthrowing governments is really, really hard. And usually the thing that results when you overthrow a government is even worse. And she points out that the Chelish government is possible to improve in normal ways, like uh, suggesting improvements. <laughs> you know, this is this is another downside of the screen is that like, if you guys had a history, you guys, have, you know, you know, presumably Dathalon, you know, even if they were smarter the whole time throughout their history, they probably had kings at some point. They absolutely would have had kings in their history. And maybe that was part of the point of the screen too, to not let people know about how easy it is to make coordination very hard. I think it'd be hard to start now and make coordination, like, you know, be like, you know, the first person to stand up and be like, I'm king. Someone, there's two people just say, fuck you and hit them, right? Oh, it, it would have to definitely be a long conspiracy. Yeah. So I think it's hard to, to get that thing going unless it's already in place. Um, it might even have to be a conspiracy of the smartest people in the world who have lots of secret knowledge and are implicitly entrusted by everybody with their own back channel communications just among themselves. And their, their super evil plan is to make sure everyone's happy and, you know, copacetic the whole time. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> until they whip out the big guns, you know. Exactly. That's the thing. Yeah. But Ke- no, Kelton was asking too many I, questions. That's why they took That's why they took his plane down. Right. Are we supposed to believe that planes still crash on Dothalon? Now that I think about In, it. Yeah. Pff, planes impossible. almost never crash on Earth. I know. And we're all, we're all mouth-breathing apes compared to these people, right? <laughs> I agree. So, yeah, that, that's sus. And he, he didn't seem all that surprised either. They probably just kill everyone they want to on plane crashes. Telling you, these keepers, man. I'm liking them more and more every day. <laughs> so not only do they have that part of their history screened off where it was very obvious how easy it is to make coordination hard, but they implicit, they explicitly train 10-year-olds, uh, train their citizens to resist this kind of thing because 10-year-olds are trained uh, in this sort of scenario where I guess they get some kind of dictatorship imposed on them. And at some point, 10% of them yell now, followed moments later by the other 90% of them spontaneously uh, joining them. And they all spontaneously and independently invent this strategy as soon as prompted by this specific scenario. And I'm like, holy shit, they... They go through like a Hunger Games scenario in the, when they're kids and they don't know. They think that they've actually been put in some sort of dystopian government and they have to actually rebel. This is fucking awesome. And being a kid in Dot the Lawn must be the most epic thing in the world. You literally save the world <laughs> as part of your training to be a citizen when you're 10 years old. I mean, that's metal as fuck. And I like that reading. But the way I read it was that they're, they're prompted with this scenario the same way they're prompted with the Drowning Pond. Uh, in that, hey, hypothetically, if this, then they get the feedback. And like they, they, they all like, just say, well, then we just do the shelling point and yell, right? It felt like, you know how he was um, confronted by that that person that was uh, needed help and yeah. he came over and, yeah, yeah. Uh, it feels like when he says, what, 10% of the children yell now and then the other 90% join in and they always spontaneously and independently invent this. I think the spontaneously and independently thing and the specific yelling of now, it, it makes me think uh, It makes me think this is an actual scenario that they put these kids through. You're right, because he used numbers like 10%. They yeah. really should have just had some, you know, fake, you know, uh, what do you call them? Crisis actors, you know, drowning in ponds, waiting to see if these kids would run and, you know, ruin their shoes, right? Mm, yes, they you should. You get them coming back from some special party where they got a nice expensive outfit and then, you know, throw this this fake kid into a, into a fake pond and see if they run in there and ruin their clothes. Mm-hmm. And be like, aha, now you've got to give all the clothes off your back because that's the logical implication of this reasoning. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I, you know, it's fun and I, I like the, 
his comeback to this, you know, the, the, how he had, how, you know, Dottalan has allegedly solved this problem, Mm -hmm. but I don't think this would work on earth. Even if you taught children about shelling points, like if you're in whatever Soviet Russia and 10% of people yell now, like what the hell are you supposed to do? You know, grab a brick and throw it at the nearest police officer or, you know, military person or like storm the Capitol. Like, I mean, it's actually not clear. You might not even need to grab a brick. Like if everybody were to rush the guards at once, they couldn't kill them all before they got to them, took their weapons. There aren't that many guards. No, but that's the thing is like, it's not clear what you're supposed to do when someone yells now. Like just because everyone's been living under, you know, under the boot for their, you know, for a generation or two. Right. Oh, Um, well, yeah. So they're like, well, what do I, do I rob the store for food because I'm sick of waiting in line? Do I go kill the, the whatever local magistrate? Like, uh, however, this would work for a more local situation, like a nine 11, uh, hijacking. Uh, yeah, there's no way that three, three people with box cutters could take a plane anymore. Right. Nope. Even if they could get to the cockpit. Yeah. You know, people would wait till, you know, I don't even know if they think a shelling point. Someone just yell now. Right. Yeah, because <laughs> the plane is small enough where you know there's like what 100 change people on there. Um, you know, you, probably more you, than that. You just you, you just need enough buy-in to be like, yeah, some of us are going to get cut and maybe a couple of us killed, and then we're going to take the plane back, right? Yeah. Um, so th- this would definitely work for a situation like that. Yeah. And I think even like in in lieu of yelling now, you might just need one person to get up and yell and charge them, right? Mm-hmm. But if we all, if we all are training and shelling points and planning, then it would sure be nice if they could coordinate, and that first guy wouldn't almost certainly die, right? Right. Yeah. Well, we find out now that uh, Dathalon has an annual (laughs) Oops, It's Time to Overthrow the Government Festival, which is delightful, and I love it. We should have one of those in real life. I wasn't sure if that was a joke or not. Maybe they have like a... It it struck me like it could be the kind of joke like that, you know, he would make to himself, but Mm -hmm. why would they have that festival when their government's so awesome and everyone's so happy, right? Just as like a, you know, if we all, if you guys stop being happy, remember this is an option. Yeah, give, I think so. Give them the illusion of power when, in fact, the lizard people control everything anyway. <laughs> That's literally it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay, I love it. I love yeah, it even and more if there's now. no lizard, <laughs> and if there's no lizard people, then it's you know a, a good reminder that this is a thing we can do and we might need to do. Arm the public. Yes. Ooh, yeah. I bet everybody in Deathalon owns guns, or nobody has guns. Like actually, nobody. Like they just don't make guns. Maybe they don't make guns. Maybe only like the military has them to shoot, you know, invading mo- aliens or something. Yeah. But like another stable equilibrium for the gun problem is to have none of them. I suppose so. Yeah. Like in Japan, your odds of being killed by a gun are basically zero. Okay. Uh, I mean, I guess yeah, unless, yeah, unless yeah. you're, unless you're, you're right. involved in the gang, but I think, I think their gun the homicide rate is next to nothing. It's it's really surprising when I watch some um, some Japanese media where like Yakuza, hardcore gangsters, you know, they're going after each other with knives and shit. And uh, then somebody pulls out a gun and everyone's like, what the fuck? You're pulling out a gun? Like, like, just, it's not done. Right. Yeah. We're, I thought, I thought we were the bad guys. That's hardcore, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah well, I, I wanted to win. What are you guys doing? You know, hitting each other with sharp sticks. Come on. So help me out here. As long as we're talking about hitting each other with sharp sticks. Uh, he says in a pre-metallic equilibrium, almost all fighters have about the same military power. I don't think that's correct at all. What's he mean pre-metallic? Like before metal was invented? I th- well, yeah, before the, the smelting of That's what I metal. meant. Yeah, before before the Iron Age. Like using sticks and stones and shit. Um I I guess maybe if you draw a circle around the word fighters, uh oh, to sub out okay. not all people. 
All right, that makes a, that makes quite a bit more sense then, because I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking first of all, half the population just have a retarded advantage over the other half, and uh, do you, do you, I can't believe you started with uh, they all have the same military power. But yeah, you're right, half the population wouldn't even be considered fighters, and you know the other some percent of the population is children, some percentage is you know elderly, very um, old. Yeah, there's so, some people that are that are infirm, ill, or whatever. Right. Yeah, so I don't yeah, think okay. that he's saying that, appro- they ha- they ha- that approximately everybody has the same physical might. I think that he's saying that anyone who's, you know, capable of picking up a bat can pick up a bat with just about as well as the next guy. And okay. that's probably basically true. I mean, you know, even if you're all fighting with wooden swords, like people who practice at it all the time will be better at it. But right. still four people rushing him, you know, unless there's some whatever badass samurai, uh, right. they'll be able to take him out, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, cool. Never mind. No, no, I, I mean, I it, was good, my... it was a good catch, though. No, I, I, I guess I just thought I read people instead of fighters. I, I'm very embarrassed now. I didn't, I didn't notice of... it. I didn't notice the, I didn't have that idea until I saw the word, until you pulled out the quote. So, no embarrassed. I, I asked probably... lots of stupid questions. I can't be the only one doing it. So, fine. I'll, I'll leave it in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and then she does the Hermione thing where she realizes that she's be doing a bad job of being evil so she's going to have to set more time aside tomorrow to work on that what form do you think that time is going to take like half she's gonna wake up half an hour early and just like go slap some maids and you know <laughs> I, I have no idea actually i'm so not eager to find out <laughs> me neither maybe we won't maybe she won't actually have the time to be more evil hopefully she'll be, be too busy becoming a better person but we'll see <laughs> or having kinky sex with keltham right because she describes kinky stuff and then there is an empty tag with Keltham that was just made me laugh out loud when we ran into it. The empty tag is <laughs> is a nice um you know literary device that is only usable in this medium and it's great. Yeah, and it's it, awesome. You can kind of do it like in a cartoon or in a movie or whatever, but like with this is just like blink. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Or the I have even more questions. Uh, <laughs> You know, I think the first time I ran into it was in um, Final Fantasy 2, which I, I guess technically is Final Fantasy 4 if you're a purist, but uh, where the the people were talking back and forth to each other. And one of the times, uh, one of the dialogues was just one character having three dots in a row, the, the ellipses. I've definitely seen that in games. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, cool. Those are fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, he's saying under other circumstances, I'd say surprise me, but... What exactly is whipping? What's a candle? <laughs> oh my god, that's and, awesome! And she's like, "Oh man, I thought that you know they're all taking bets on like how many of my limbs you were going to cut off tonight. Like, mm-hmm. if, if you don't know what a candle is or have never hit anybody, like, I feel like this is going to be a, a whole, you know." Um, she talks about she's still excited to win the bet because he might still be a sadist or whatever because he likes the idea of hair pulling. I'm not convinced that sadism. Um, no, definitely not. So maybe she can't imagine pulling someone's hair in a loving way that doesn't hurt them too much. Um, and she assumes that if anyone's into it, they're into it to hurt them for hurting sake. Uh, well, I mean, even then, like, okay, wh- where, where is this hair pulling quote? What, um, he says, okay, let me check in with what my brain thinks of pulling your hair in a sexual context. If you enjoyed that in a sexual way and yep, somebody just won their bets on me. All right. What, that's, that's not sadism in any way at all. I, I don't blame Keltham for being confused on this because he's very confused by his sexuality, but like doing something that your turns on your partner, that just it's natural for that to turn you on too, right? I mean, it is for 
you know, not to pat ourselves on the back too hard, but it is for us because we're good with a capital G, right? <laughs> okay. I mean, fair enough. I think yeah. you're right, though. If you're evil, like their enjoyment of it is completely orthogonal to your enjoyment. In fact, yeah. if you're if you're extra evil, they're hating being there would probably be extra fun for you, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. And he's like, what my brain thinks of pulling your hair in a sexual context, if you enjoyed that in a sexual way, I... Maybe there is a special definition of sadism for sex, which is like, it it counts as sadism if it causes some pain, but the other person still likes it. But that does, I mean, that is the most vanilla sadism I've ever heard. Like, everyone pulls hair. Yeah, I don't think that they're speaking the same language here. Yeah. Uh, Which which they're almost definitely, like, they're, like, frankly, all this, like, you know, this talk I thought was going to be kind of super boring. Mm -hmm. Um, But the, the enormous cultural gaps... And like the evil subterfuge of her, yeah. you know, uh, of me wondering like what the hell she's actually talking about at bottom and him totally not getting it to the level where he doesn't know. What, and like the also like just kind of the the spice on this fun is that, he you know, he doesn't know what a candle is, which is like not only does is that like not something Dothalon has, but it's like the idea of doing anything like that to anybody, you know, has never occurred to him. Right. Yeah. Um, and he he the way he he talks a big game again, I'm still I'm. We should just place a bet. You want to do five bucks? I think that he'll say this is his first time having sex. I I mean, I agree with you, so I don't want to oh, <laughs> lose five bucks. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, so I mean, despite all his big talk, he gives off strong virgin energy. So, uh, you know, maybe everyone in Dothalon uses candles for sex and he just, you know, he's he's just never been invited, right? Right, yeah. He's never been into a proper cuddle room with all the things people actually use. Okay, this actually I, brings another question. This is yeah. side sidebar, but... It, he uses cuddle and sex interchangeably, but they're they're different things, and that kind of bugs me. It it kind of bugs me too. Yeah. Okay, because like a cuddle room doesn't get dirty because cuddling isn't you know uh, doesn't produce a mess. I um, mean, cuddling a cuddle room could get dirty if the cuddling led to sex, but then you go to cuddling the sex by room. itself. Yeah. Well, maybe you just have sex in the cuddle room because you can't be bothered to go to another room. But like, it's not that hard to go to another room. I've done it before. Yeah. I mean, it's makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, some I rooms are better rooms all the it. time in fact yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I leave rooms many times a day um mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's like you know i imagine a color room being like a big beanbag chair which would be kind of awkward to have sex on and it's like all right let's I, have sex like on a on a piece of furniture that can actually support you know our uh posture right yeah yeah let's have you know sex swings hanging from the ceiling and all sorts of stuff right and a sex swing I, is not conducive to cuddling no no it is not i, I was just thinking um w- when you mentioned this whole incentives that they have maybe carissa is trying to convince him that he's a sadist because that would be a good way to like corrupt him or make him evil or something like if she's like oh yeah you like thinking of me getting turned on that makes you so sadistic dude and and somehow like trick him into doing more bad shit like trick him down the path of villainy without like him ever making the connection and then when he does like just assuming that he won't backtrack yeah hmm that'd be a fun plan we'll see if it we'll see if it pans out all right because I, I, I i'm thinking of the spoilers we got at the very beginning or not spoilers but the content warnings that like this includes bad bdsm practices that are designed to get people to damn themselves or something right that's what's been on my mind as well yeah. and so like whatever they're doing they're doing they're gonna be doing it wrong so yeah, she's going to be like, oh, you were just pulling my hair. You know, that's basically the same as stabbing a girl. <laughs> Something along those lines. You, you've you already agreed that you're a sadist. I mean, you know, he's a little 
socially maladapted maybe to mm-hmm. this to this planet, but I think even he'll recognize <laughs> the difference between a scream of pleasure and a scream of pain, you know? I hope so. I mean, I hit better. And I think Carissa may, may be counting on him not if this if this is going to be her plan, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, stab her. When she screams, that means she likes it, right? Uh, or maybe she, like, is going to do the wrong scream, like the scream of pain when he pulls her hair and then, like, looks back at him like, that's the scream that means I like it. Oh, no, that sounds distinctly plausible. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Oh, man. Anyway. going to be so confused and sexually fucked up by these people. I, I guess they are kind of evil. I mean, maybe kind of, just a little. Yeah. Uh, interesting point of theology that she points out to him. Cheliacs conceives of pain as significantly more than just a damage signal. Because that's he, he says that's the only thing pain is. I'm like, oh yeah, for them it's it's literally a a holy rite, like meditation or or prayer or something. I'm, that is very interesting, and I kind of like that world detail there. Me too. It's also a damage signal, lest lest she try and shade over that fact. Well, yeah, yeah. It's when both. when Elias set Iona on fire, it you know it yeah. wasn't to better prepare her for hell. It was because he you know he was mad at her and wanted her to hurt, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, may have also been a sacrament in his religion to set her on fire like that. That sounds awfully convenient, doesn't it? I, that's why you would make your religion have that kind of sacraments <laughs> if you're evil. Yeah. To um, make it more convenient. That that seems like a totally unrelated thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, unless we're to believe that, like, whatever, they do something gross and, you know, whatever, with knives or something during sex, that they're, like, they're getting some religious epiphany out of it, right? I mean, why not? It's their religion. They can make up whatever sacraments they want. Well, they can say that they're getting an epiphany out of it, but they might also, I think they're just doing it because they like hurting people. And I, I know that's like not really testable because they'll just say that like they're doing it for their religion either way, right? But like, it can be both. There's a lot of things people do for religious rites that are just straight up pleasurable to do. Yeah, stuff can be two things. Good point. All right. I think the crux of their, 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 their miscommunication is that uh, Dothalan pain is bad. Like every instance of pain is is damage and it should be avoided. The less the less the better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, on Chelyax, it's different. Not only is there the religious connotation, but they they don't have the the super enlightened world of like nope, all pain is terrible. Um, which is kind of like what we're aiming for here on Earth. You know, like in an abstract. I think you know I think we would draw a line that, out for stuff, but I think if we're aiming at that, then we're wrong. Uh, I think like chronic suffering is terrible, and th- there's various forms of suffering that are terrible, but like. I think a blanket all pain is bad statement is just wrong. I think so too. And I think maybe that's because pain is doing pain is a pretty loaded word, but like, you know, it's not uncommon in, you know, like moral philosophy talks to equate suffering with negative utility. And that's therefore the definition of bad, right? Right. Yeah. Um, but suffering isn't just pain. It's, it's more than that. So, yeah. Um, anyway, it, it's their cultural divide. It continues to be entertaining. Yeah. Okay. Carissa is having the somewhat upsetting realization that maybe it would be bad for Dothalani people if they went to hell. If they've just completely eradicated the mechanism by which their brain translates pain into something more complex than just suffering. Um, yeah, <laughs> that, that would be really bad. Um, I, I'm kind of back to thinking that maybe hell isn't as awful as the name implies because they're using pain for, I guess, something more than just suffering. They're using it as a tool that uh, just maybe justifies the pain in some way and uh also this is another point in the direction of carissa is just hermione and cheliax because she doesn't want people to just suffer she she thinks that there's a good reason for that suffering what makes their their cultural divide here really interesting is that 
even if you were to get halfway through explaining to her and she could think that she understood, she would be wrong. I mean, so you're saying that, you know, maybe hell isn't as bad as the name implies, but it's like, you know, if you squint, all that we're doing to the to the prisoners at Guantanamo, we're shaping them into different people, people who want to cooperate, right? Uh, okay, and I so, see what you're saying. But the thing well, is, that's that, not the case. But there's a kernel, but there's a kernel of truth to what she's saying that, look, well, there's more to pain than just suffering. Yeah, you know, um, and so it's th- this is like a lot of like definition style disagreements people get in, right? Yeah, and uh, they they can say, well, oh yeah, no, of course I get it. Yeah, there's 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 more stuff than that. And then Kelton can come around to realize, you know what, you're right. Things like hair pulling. And she'll be like, yeah, and cutting people's faces off when they when they talk back to you. Um <laughs> and so they, they can kind of be like halfway towards each other, but still be totally missing each other's points. Yeah. I think it's gonna be interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how this pans out. I wish it would just pan out quicker. I mean I, I get it. Like, you know I do too. Don't, I don't want to like, you know, skip to the end, but like I really want to see this conflict all start exploding. Yeah, the buildup is, it is a little bit too long, I, I will say. We're also reading this at a glacial pace. That's true. Not like I want more to read every week, but because we do it weekly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I normally do not read things this slowly and then take notes about them and then talk about them and then publish them. So, yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, they go upstairs and they look at the, uh, go up onto the tower and they look at the stars. I just had to point out that it wouldn't be Yudkowsky's story unless they spe- the protagonist spent some time chilling and looking at the stars. That is very true. And that's nice, too. Feels peaceful and cool and also good pickup that all the Yudkowsky stories have that i mean i can't remember specifically if that happens in like the girl who's run by the internet or whatever Um, yeah but it it just seems you know as long as we're on the point Yudkowsky would have to to travel outside the bay area to see stars you know like you can technically see them but like (laughs) california is shit for sky viewing like the the urban city right I'm pretty sure he's been outside the bear area in his life. Oh, I know, but it's a drag because like, you know, he seems to like, you know, his characters all seem to love doing this like on, you know, with regularity. And for him, it's like a day trip, right? Yeah, not something he has to do often, which is maybe why he fetishizes it so much in his story. Well, not fetishizes it, but you know what I'm saying. Loves it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It features so prominently as a beautiful thing because he gets it so very rarely in his actual life. Totally. Before I really interrupted you, you were going to say like, is it just me or something? Is it just me? Or is it kind of dumb that they call that they don't have the word stars and dot the lawn? They just call them all suns. I'm like, really? You gotta you gotta do that. It's boringly technical. I, I realize that, like, yeah, at the physical level, the what we think of as our sun is like a lot of the other stars, but yeah. it holds a special place in our hearts, right? It does because it holds a very we... very special place in the history of our planet and the history of us. Yeah, and it's okay for it to have a special status. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Although good. I suppose it wasn't just me. I suppose if you're used to thinking of things in terms of space travel and stuff, when you think of the other stars as suns, you think of them as as that special too, right? Huh. It kind of ra- rather than so. diminishing our sun, it, I think it elevates the other stars. Eh. Huh. Actually, I see your point. I I mean, I I don't know if this is no, it's... I don't know if I believe this, but I think that might that's that sounds plausible. That's some great poetic license in world building and Damned good analysis there, Dan. Let's assume it was on point. Let's assume it was on purpose. And uh, it wasn't just, you know, Keltham speak for stars. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we find out um, that Keltham is probably from farther away than any of those stars because a very good wizard can teleport to those stars, but not to Dothalon. Like, holy shit. That's amazing. I mean, that's magic, man. That blew me away that, like, the power of their magic lets them just teleport to other stars. This is the first time I've been impressed by 
Dothalon being significantly more powerful, or um, by Galarian being significantly more powerful than Dothalon in some major way. Yeah, I mean, it's also disappointing. It means they, they can bring the shit society with them all across the, the universe, but... that Yeah, that kind of sucks. Yeah, but I do like, you know, it because it's kind of poetic way to put it. I think you're further away than any of those stars. Um, yeah. You know, to to bring up a Marvel analogy, which I haven't done in a long time. Uh, you know, like the 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 wizards can use their, their sling rings to make circles teleport, right? I but, have to take your word for it. Like, D- Doctor Strange, they make the portals. Okay. You've seen... And they use rings seen, like, to do se- that? Yeah, but d- the rings are, are, it, aren't the point. The point is that they can make portals <laughs> okay. to teleport, right? Yeah. You've seen some of the movies. Uh, yes. Spider-Man Far From No Way Home. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So teleporting is no big deal, but going one universe over, that's a huge deal, right? right. And so it, it's... It's kind of just fun to say it's like you're, you know, the furthest thing, you know, the furthest thing that we could ever reach, you're still further than that for wherever you came from, right? Yeah, that's it's, pretty cool. It's kind of just fun saying, you know, thinking about it in that context. It is. I was just legit shocked by how much freaking distance they can traverse so simply. I guess because I'm just used to seeing teleportation portals that like, you know, teleporting from here to the fridge is just as easy as teleporting from here to Mars. <laughs> yeah, but from here to a different star? It, why not? It's not, it's not like your your magic portal is only open at the speed of light. I Well, I guess so. They went at the speed of, you know, I, I, I think Harry put it so perfectly that, you know, magic's attitude towards, I think he was talking about the law of conservation, but just physics in general is somewhere between a shrug of indifference and a giant extended middle finger. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, sure, whatever. The, the teleportation is teleportation, man. It goes from here to there or, it, yeah, it goes from here to there. Define those however you want. <laughs> to, them, to, to them, it's unremarkable. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm with you. It's so it's super cool. Yeah. Uh, so he has this interesting comment that one person becoming powerful enough to go to the stars on their own is a story that you write and only sell to adults because if you told it to children, you'd be setting them up for disappointment when they learned how economics worked in real life. Um, since we read a and saw a whole lot of science fiction and fantasy when we were kids, does this mean we all got fucked up in childhood? No, it means they got fucked up childhoods. What? No, they... Well, we no, no, no. We got fucked up in childhood, and that fucked us in adulthood. Oh, you're saying because like, we grew up thinking, I can grow up to be a spaceman, when in fact we can't. Yeah, um, basically. That that we, we were set up for a po- disappointment. <laughs> we got to adulthood, and we're like, oh, actually, we can't meaningfully affect anything in the real world, unlike these awesome stories. I guess I'll just be an office drone and then die. Well, that's throwing in the towel way too hard. More like <laughs> more like when I turned like nine, I realized I'd never be able to find a magic artifact to let me become a superhero, right? And so I'm 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 not sure what the year was, but at some point in my young childhood, that was an ambition of mine was to find some magic object that turned me into a superhero. Um and so at some point I realized that wasn't possible. That might have been devastating. I don't remember that part. But I'm do you I'm kind of I okay mean, with it, that. It, it seems like his argument is that if we hadn't f- been if we hadn't fallen prey to that crushing defeat of not being able to find the artifact to become a superhero we might have had instead the ambition to found our own company and make the world significantly better and capture some small part of that value oh see i i took it the other way that you know we that those the children didn't read those because that would, they'd get disappointed and that's that's a form of suffering um not that like it would curb their ambition to do something cool later yeah cuz you crush their ambition like right away with impossible things that were so cool. And instead, like you, if you, if they have the ambition to 
possibly do real things that doesn't get crushed out of them. Yeah, that could be. I I took it to mean like you know the that the children there are so sheltered that they that they wouldn't endure the suffering of learning that you can't be Superman. Um, oh no no I took it the other way that they would end up like us and not be ambitious in the real world. I wonder. I mean, because I think the average human in, on Earth is far less ambitious than they could be and should be. Counterpoint though, I think that was also true before superhero fiction was popular. That's a good point, but counter counterpoint, superhero fiction goes back to at least the ancient god myths. <laughs> well, uh, what, what's the? I was trying to think of another word for touche, but uh, yes, well, well put. <laughs> I can see. I think you're right that right. you know your, your your heroes back then are you know Hercules and Gilgamesh, and you know they're Titan fighting badasses, and you you're you're a dirt scrubbing pleb. Um, All right. Yeah. I don't think people tried to grow up to be Hercules, but maybe that was never the point of Hercules. I mean, that, just because it wasn't the point doesn't mean that kids, you know, kids might have missed the point. Um, yeah, no, that's that's interesting. That said, I think we did okay. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't trade right. my childhood for something else because I wouldn't want to like, you know, persist into adulthood still trying to become Spider-Man. No, you would persist into adulthood trying to uh, become, I don't know, Elon Musk or maybe a, a slightly less ambitious founder, but something that you could breach okay we can actually test this weekly because i was going to mention elon musk because like that'd be the thing right we, we aim to be more elon musk and less batman right because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, elon actually has like a history of how he earned his money rather than just like uh well how he earned most of it um yeah it rather than just like whatever being angry because his parents got murdered in an alleyway um, right so we can I, I bet we can find out in interviews if people like let's say steve jobs bill gates elon musk uh whatever um grab grab half a dozen or a dozen very very powerful and successful people and see if they've ever said like oh yeah i loved superhero stuff as a kid oh i'm sure they were exposed to that stuff just as much as any of us but overall the population level it demoralizes and um discourages a lot more people than it has to maybe i believe the argument uh eliezer's making here and i think maybe but if they all said, oh, yeah, or if, the, if, if like a common theme was like, oh, yeah, I saw them. I didn't like them because that seemed unreachable. Right. Oh, then that would be evidence that, yes, you know, the fact that many of us as kids did reach for this means that we might have been uh, misled. I mean, Musk is reaching for putting humans on Mars. I think that's pretty damned unreachable, but I guess not physically unreachable. Like that is that is some serious ambition there. Yeah, we put stuff on Mars. It's not as impossible as it was 100 years ago. That's true. It's technically yeah. possible now. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Technically possible in the not-too-distant future. Oh, to put humans there? Yeah. Okay, okay, gotcha, yeah. Well, shall we continue to our future? Yes. All right, Keltham is uh, trying to flirt with Carissa. Seems to be doing an okay job at any rate. Uh, And he, um, Carissa puts her hand on his arm, and so he leans gently in that direction, which is hopefully a signal that it's fine, meaning it's fine for her to put her hand on her arm. Um, I, I, this makes me... feel less good about Dathalon because the fact that he's so fucked up psychologically that he's hoping it's a good sign that it's fine to touch him by leaning into her that they have not been taught very much about like sex ed or psych ed or something like he shouldn't have to be guessing he he should just know that like if someone touches your arm you lean forward you lean into them to show them yeah I like this this is nice yeah I wonder like Part of it might be the cultural divide that he's wondering about. Maybe that was totally fine. That's you know maybe he maybe he leaned into it because that's what people do on Dathalon because that's what makes sense. 
Uh, but is like is leaning towards them an aggressive gesture, like you know, smiling with your teeth at a gorilla. Um, right. Okay. But yeah, that it, makes sense. It's also, uh, you know, because you said I think I remember being this fucked up psychologically. I remember being this confused psychologically. But like, also, like, wasn't it? You know, wasn't there some vague thrill when you were like a teenager of like, you know, oh man, she, you know, we went to the movies and she she's touching my arm. Does that mean she likes me or she even knows that she's touching my arm? You know, that that was kind of like a fun part of uh growing up i found it just to be very very anxiety inducing and once i learned that yeah it does just mean she likes me and i should lean into it life got much better because before it was like it was just terrifying yeah i think you're right i think i'm forgetting the anxiety and i was a very very anxious kid so uh i think you're probably right i you know like the whole thing she had a funny line about like how you know she'll find like excuses to like you know brush up against him she it was something like, I bet I can find some, or she bet she can find some if she believes in herself. <laughs> it just seemed like a real, that's like, it was just funny phrasing. That seemed actually pretty mm-hmm. Hermione of her to say. Um, mm-hmm. But like the whole thing of them acting like 12 year olds and wondering how to accidentally brush against each other is like delightfully subverted by her not try, trying to not be a sociopath and him trying not to be too nerdy for his own good. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's like this undertone of like kind of enormous tension that isn't about like, oh, are they going to hook up? Because actually that tension's gone, right? Right. And it kind of delightfully so. That's not because that's not the point, right? The point yeah. is how badly they're gonna misread each other this entire time. <laughs> awesome. It's awesome. Okay. He talks about how basically he shouldn't exist on Galarian. Uh his brain was destroyed, and uh yet somehow he continues to live here. That implies that there is an infinite range of things that can happen that no matter what he is experiencing he should always anticipate that he will continue to experience things because somehow some way across all the multiverses there will be some loophole where a tiny fraction of him continues to exist like his plane goes down his body is destroyed and yet somehow his atoms rearranged on galarian through this freak occurrence and so now he's thinking you know what i'm maybe, destined maybe to go his turtles all the way down yes exactly the, it, this just Goes on forever for everybody, literally. But um, for me specifically is what I'm worried about. Uh, do I want to be stuck in one of these afterlives? Or do I want to just like go straight for the new- neutral evil hell where they consume my soul and I'm erased from existence? Except not really because I continue somewhere else. And uh, I thought that was really a cool thing that he that occurred to him. While this, uh, He must have been thought of thinking about this for a while. Like It couldn't have just occurred to him now. And we just heard about it. I... I I enjoyed that, and the first time I ran into this was in um, Dust Theory, which was what they called it in Permutation City, Greg Egon's book, where the same kind of thing was done, that as long as you have one possible way a observation can continue, it it does, basically. Nice. I kind of forgot this whole digression that they had, and my first exposure to this was me kind of like half-assedly putting together what I learned later was called quantum immortality. And this, mm, this sounds yeah. like that, but on steroids. Yeah, yeah. Nice. If you ever get the chance to read Permutation City, do it. I don't want to say how this is used, but man, it's cool. And I do consider it a bit of a horror novel. I'm not sure how many people do, but to me, it is absolutely definitely existential horror. So I guess go in with that warning. Cool. Like, there's not going to be people tortured or monsters or anything, but uh, if you don't feel absolute dread reading this, then I, I don't understand you. I've, I've felt some dread reading stuff before, but I've never... F- read what i think was marketed as a horror movie horror book before i know this wasn't marketed that way i need to read a horror movie at some or horror book at some point 
uh, Keltham says, yeah, I haven't really been thinking about it because I reflexively decided that it was a keeper sort of question, but I had a thing happen to me that was supposed to obliterate my own consciousness. And here I am. Like, I wonder if this is a failure of Dothalon or if Eliezer would actually want everything that's possibly a little scary to be kept out of the public's minds. I sort I of mean, doubt the second. If the keepers have a whole area of knowledge that everybody knows are keeper sorts of questions that they shouldn't look into might make it really easy to control society. Yeah, the the keepers as sinister overlords or uh, possibly benevolent overlords, you know. It's true. I, like, I should stop hammering that one because I've hammered it enough for one episode. But no, no, no. But but the I mean, th- this actually is more evidence in in favor of the you know keepers as dictators. Um, yeah. But it it makes me wonder because Keltham seems totally fine with like, oh no, that's kind of a scary thing. I shouldn't be thinking that. I should go talk to a keeper instead. Um, and Dothalanians are supposed to be baseline Yudkowskis, and I don't. My vibe is not that Yudkowsky. My, my vibe is that Yudkowsky would not be cool with that. Right? I agree. Yeah. So unless convinced very, very well somehow, like through his entire childhood education or something, in which case I think he could, he could argue very passionately for it. Right. Well, I uh, think he has argued that there are some info hazards that he would rather not know, but like as he would explicitly turn away from is thinking about hair pulling during sex and info hazard. <laughs> no. So I think that the, that the gate that they, I called them the gatekeepers on, on accident, that the keepers have drawn the lines pretty far from like what's actually unsafe to think about to what's just actually inconvenient to think about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they may be abusing their power here or just like doing what they need to do to keep things in line, but they're definitely, they're definitely not just guarding the scary secrets. I think. Right. All right. People being visibly emotional are immature, according to Krissa, or not fully in control of themselves, or trying to make a demand via the emotional expressiveness. I really like that point. I agree with her that people being visibly emotional are, I mean, not always. Lots of times it's good to be visibly emotional, but it's also good to keep in mind that sometimes people visibly emotional are, in fact, being immature or not in control of themselves, or are literally trying to blackmail you trying to make an emotional demand via their emotional expressiveness and much like tipping don't play that game see this is a a tighter tightrope to walk though i got the boys don't cry talk growing up i imagine a lot of people did and Mm -hmm. like i i think that's actually like kind of damaging not like Mm -hmm. you know man damaged childhood traumatizing man but mine wasn't that bad my my childhood was fine but i did get that conversation more than once and like i I don't know. I, I like being, uh, you know, I don't, I don't always like to express myself emotionally. Um, but I like that I'm more emotional than I was when I was a kid or at least than when I was a teenager. Yeah, uh, I agree. I'm more emotionally expressive on purpose. I, and like more comfortably emotionally expressive. Yes. Um, I, I think like you say, there's a balance. Yeah. I think maybe what she's saying, or, or she's saying something evil cause she doesn't understand that people can have feelings for good reasons. But the, the, st- the good steel man version of what she's saying is that like, if you actually can't control yourself, that's an immature, that's an immaturity marker. Like, you know, yeah. if you're surprised and you're like, ah, eat gads and you know, you, you actually can't keep it under wraps, then you're going to be a shit leader because you're immature. Right. Um, right. I think if you can't control some emotions like anger, you're just going to be a bad person, possibly a dangerous person to be around. Totally. I guess what I'm getting and, at is I like being able to cry at movies and TV shows kind of like, oh yeah, totally know, more often than many people maybe. Uh, but I'm, I'm super fine with that. Uh, totes, but see, th- I was, I was thinking more along the lines of like, are you really harmed by somebody calling their, uh, their hard drives, a master drive and a slave drive? <laughs> cause, cause I don't think you are. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I, I think about this once in a while. Cause I, 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 you know, any, any fiction where like 
the protagonist is trapped with morons who mm-hmm. like scream and wave their arms in a panic when monsters are attacking rather than grab a bat and hit the monsters. Mm-hmm. That's like actually the scary part of those things for me of those, mm. of those, of those pieces of fiction. It's not like being trapped in the hellscape. Like that would suck, but being trapped there with a bunch of fucking idiots who just make it more dangerous for me is actually what makes it like more emotionally engaging for me. Oh, interesting. That the, the quick example I'm thinking of is I remember the movie, the mist. Uh, oh yeah, that was good. I mean, it was fine, but the people, what I, it was good because it, I think it did what it, what it was going for, but it made me feel a feeling I hate, which is like, God damn it. I'm so impatient with this. I can't believe like, it's everyone like in that store just being a bunch of bloody morons. Yeah. And it's like, can't you guys all like just cooperate for one goddamn minute? And no. And so like that, that to me is the horror part, not the monsters being banging on the door. Right. Right. We can handle them if you guys can stop being fucking stupid in here, but you can't. And now <laughs> we're all going to die. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yes, that, that's where I think it's it's makes sense to rein in your emotions just for long enough to, you know, again, grab something sharp and hit the monsters to the pointy end of it. Yeah. All right. All right. Keltham. Uh, I love this. We don't even have to comment on this line. I just loved it. So I pulled it out real quick. Keltham hates this language. And he'd ask how anybody ever thinks in it. But the answer, of course, is that they don't. <laughs> I pulled out the same mad one. shade being thrown on English. I, I had the, I pulled out the the same one, so I agree. Very fun, awesome. <laughs> Just uh, yeah, very like that impatient, you know, Harry James Potter Evans Varys style of thinking. Mm-hmm. They can't think in this language; it's too fucking hard. No wonder they're all so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it was delightful. I wish we got more like that. Yeah, we get we get some comedy beats, but not a lot. We in this, do. Uh, this section. I, I really like comedy beats, and yeah. I could use a few more, but that's just me. Uh, Carissa. Carissa thinks, what if she wants to be lawful neutral because Keltham is? Well, then she'll die and go to hell and not get to do anything cool. So she should pick a less stupid want that isn't based on a crush on a teenager. Uh, But then she says, it doesn't feel like it's because of the crush on the teenager. It feels like the other way around. Um, Meaning that the reason that she is crushing on him is because he's so fucking cool. He's lawful neutral. And that is what she wants to be. And I got to say, Kelsey just keeps writing really hot sections like this and it's super enjoyable. And I like it. Nice. I think, I think when you meant that it's the other way, it's that she's inclined that way already. That's why she likes him. I was thinking it's that like her, her, her excuse is like, oh, I just feel this way about being lawful neutral because I have a crush on him. When in fact, it's that she feels that lawful neutral is awesome and he embodies it. And uh, that is why she has a crush on him rather oh, than yeah, yeah. she has a crush on him, which is why she likes lawful neutral. Gotcha. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. That she sees something admirable and she sees him embodying it and she wants him because of that. And, you know, that's just, that's fucking hot. Good, good writing. Yeah, I... I uh I liked again just the quick introspection that she's having too, right? Yeah. And she she didn't stop at the like, well, that's dumb, it's just a crush. And it's like, well, hold on, maybe it's not. And of course maybe it is, right? Mm, yeah. But it's probably not, actually. No, it's not. Yeah. She she is not a child. She she knows what she wants. Uh, I like Keltham's got this thing here, and this was I had to pull this out because Dothalon is looking kind of less appealing this chapter than any other previous reading. Um mm-hmm. He says, well, thanks for taking all the uncertainty and plot tension out of the out of our flirting then, because they're already pre-committed to basically banging they're already basically pre-committed to banging at the end of the night. Yeah. Um, where I come from, there's that's there's enough distinct books on romantic theory to fill this house's library ten times over. And most of them would say that just giving away the ending makes it uh makes it be less fun 
right now my experience would seem to falsify that. I don't think that cuddling you on a roof and looking up the stars is even slightly less fun if I know that I can't fail. Um, and yeah, if Dothalon was teaching the the reverse, then they're just flat wrong, right? Like, yeah. knowing that, you know, we're going to go home and have sex afterwards can make the date more fun, not less, because then you're not anxious about, like, you know, misreading signals or whatever, because the signals are all pointing towards, you know, sex. Oh, interesting. So, like, you're right. There, there's some, I think, I'm re- I'm putting words in your mouth, but there is some fun in the kind of anxiety of, like, reading things, <laughs> right? You absolutely knew exactly what I was thinking, <laughs> probably because you know me and you heard the way I said, oh, interesting. Like, I had just come to realization. I, I, I do often find the pursuit to be very fun. And part of that is, like, not knowing. And, and the pursuit, I think, can be fun. Uh, but to yeah. say that, like, it takes all the fun out. Um, it, yeah, it, it, takes, it takes up the plot tension for sure. But yeah. it's like, I don't know, knowing that you're going to have dessert at the end of the meal doesn't make, like, the food taste any less good. Yeah, but you're not... You're not pursuing the dessert. There's no game, not game, but there's no, there's no, there's no dance. There's no, uh, yeah, there's no yeah. chase to the dessert. You can just go straight to dessert if you wanted to. That's a good point. Right. That's a bad analogy, but my, my point stands that I think that, uh, you know, taking that, I, that, know, that out of it, it, it changes the game, but it doesn't ruin it. Yeah. I think you're right. It's, it's two slightly different games and they have similar paths, but, uh, and they're both enjoyable, even if they're not quite the same game. Yeah, but you're right. They're they're, they're very distinctly different. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. I can't remember the context where... I, I, most of the time as I pull out these quotes, and I can't remember the context because the context doesn't actually matter. Um, mm-hmm. So I've got Carissa here saying, maybe it's okay to understand the Dothalon way of thinking and separately try to understand the Asmodian one and then integrate them. If she can't understand the Dothalon, then she won't be able to do her job. And I predict that if she understands Dothalon she won't be able to go to hell the way that she wants to. Oh, shit. Like, I, I don't think that, you know, Voldemort didn't understand good people. Yeah. And if he did, he would have ceased to be fully evil. Oh, damn, dude. That's a hell of a prediction. That's a good one. Well, we'll see. I, in fact, I think that actually her soul... Wait, she didn't sell it to Asmodeus, did she? She did not. So she, she could still go to the wrong hell. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah, so... That yeah, if she if she goes if she can fully like if her mental model of Keltham stops being like this murderous monster, uh, yeah. and she starts understanding like true love and friendship, then yeah, she <laughs> then then I, she's not going to hell, right? Ah, it's gonna be the most heartwarming story. Hopefully, <laughs> I had a lot of fun with Keltham trying. They're trying to uh, dissect. He's like, I don't think heretical translated there. It sounded like false. But only actually some of it's a different property of, of a proposition can have than falsity, but still a bad one. Maybe information with a negative value flavored um, mm-hmm. and trying to explain the idea of wrong think to somebody from Dothalon. <laughs> he's exactly as confused as, as you would think. Yeah. And they have some back and forth that I didn't grab the rest of, but it was just kind of fun to see him be totally bewildered at that. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, that was that was delightful to watch. I. I really like the he- the heresy thing as well, and I can't wait for him to figure it out and ha- see how he reacts to that. Right, like she she tries to like explain of like, well, there are some truths, but you know, if you if you think them in the wrong order, you get you know, uh, you take wrong steps in other you know in other lines of thinking you know, rather than like, and those things can still be technically true. And it's he's like, okay, like a particular flavor of invalidity then. Yeah, and so he yeah. says that, but then he thinks he's like, but heresy didn't really sound like that. Yeah, um, he's like it's it's false, but not like 
factually false. And we're like, yeah, it's it's socially false. You can't say it, right? Even though it's true, and you can't think it, even though it's true. Um, yeah, oh, that, that good point. Yeah, yeah. I what's fun is I think the translation spell like it conveyed the vibe, even if it didn't, if it couldn't successfully convey the meaning. Yes, because he's like the word heresy doesn't sound like that, but okay, if you say so. Um, yeah, and I I just love how dude he is with stuff like. So she's going to go run off and talk to a, a priest because she's having a conflict of uh, something. I actually can't remember what her whole deal was, but uh, I'm sure they'll remind us next week. But um, he just says, uh, I'd offer to stay up here for a set time, but I don't have my small wearable time telling device. Uh, maybe, oh. maybe I'll just look up and think for a bit, then head on down if I notice myself not wanting to be on the roof. I think it's because Galarian doesn't have a word for watch. Well, he also doesn't have a watch. Well, I mean, yeah. Oh, if but he, he did, can't he say it to her. Right. Yeah. They definitely don't have them, right? Yeah. Uh, no. So I was just remembering back to your previous point where you said he never says the word watch. He always says oh, yeah. device or something. Oh, yeah. Because he can't, he can't just say watch because they'd be like, what do you mean? We, you can watch things all the time. No, no. <laughs> you watch a, a watch to know what time it is. Yeah. That is a weird name for it, isn't it? Um, yeah. But yeah, he has to go with the, the multi-syllable version. Yeah. But I, I, but I, sorry, I, what was the dude thing he's doing here? Oh, sorry. Yeah. He, he, He's done this before, like with uh, maybe like when he decided to take a nap and other times, but just he says something like, uh, I'm going to look up this, look up a thing for a bit, then head on down if I notice myself not wanting to be on the roof. Yeah. Like that's the, like the chillest fucking way to express that of, you know, he's like, if I get bored up here, that's not what he's saying though. Right. He's like, if I notice that I don't want to be up here anymore, I'm going to not be up here anymore. Like, oh, that's a really good catch. It it's it's a it's a subtle difference, I think, but I think it speaks a lot to like the kind of life that Dothalanians have, or Dothalanians. Yeah. I don't know how you pluralize it. Like, it's you're just doing what you want to all the time. It's kind of beautiful. Yeah, that's that's how I'm I'm reading it. I'm gonna try and start try to integrate some of that into my thinking. Uh, I'll, I'll maybe have mixed success with it, but just the idea of like if I notice myself not wanting to be up here anymore, I'm gonna change what I'm doing. Um, yeah. Yeah, it. I think like deliberately phrasing it that way can actually be really valuable. But I'll I'll give that some more thought. Mm-hmm. I think it it very much can be. Yeah, and it does give him a very chill vibe. That like, sure, maybe he's got some virgin energy. That's because he's a virgin, but he's pretty chill about it. Yeah, and n- no, I'm not dissing virgin energy at all. It's more just like how he's he's speaking so authoritatively on sex and harems and stuff. When I'm pretty oh, sure okay, he's yeah. going to be, you know, when he when he's. Uh, when he's not the expert, he's boasting to like that he that he's pretending to be. I'm only I'm only giving him giving him a hard time for that, not for not having sex. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And speaking of how cool and chill he is, he doesn't have any regrets about this night. He says he's still going to have sex with Carissa later, and this way he also got to act cool and all wise in front of her. <laughs> and I mean, like hell yeah, he, he, there's no sex scarcity. You don't have to have sex every night. You you go you do the thing you hang out with the person and if there's sex that's cool and if not there's always tomorrow yeah win-win um i uh i can't remember like so they they pre-committed they're like yeah we're having sex at the end of the night right they're basically like yeah and i wonder if she comes back from her talk with the priest and she's not in the mood anymore is he gonna see that as like a violation of contract i'm sure he'll be more understanding than that but like right you know we had an agreement (laughs) <laughs> we're living in a society does our word mean nothing <laughs> yeah uh but as is the theme with the last few chapters here or last few readings we get to end on my new favorite character broom mm-hmm. who is just eavesdropping everywhere all the time mm-hmm. uh, he's dropping eaves left and right 
And he, so he's been up here watching this whole thing. And he says, it was very interesting and very confusing conversation. And Broom was not quite sure what to make of it. He hesitates between continuing to watch Keltham or trying to overhear the woman's conversation with the Asmodian cleric. And I think he sticks around to watch Keltham, um, which seems like a lot less interesting than listening to a conversation. Because what is he going to learn from watching this guy sit and think? But That's a good point. And mm-hmm. he doesn't have any mind readiness. Not that we're aware of. Uh, yeah. So maybe he's not the sharpest tool in the shed, but he's got all the sharpest tools in the toy box now. So, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, it, you know, and maybe like, maybe he, it's, it's a, the conversation with the cleric may be more interesting, but you kind of know more or less how it's going to go. Whereas if you sit here and watch Keltham, probably going to be bored, huge chance of nothing happening, but it's a much higher variance sort of event where, maybe some crazy absolute shit's going to happen that you'll be around here to watch because it's fucking Keltham and crazy shit happens around him sometimes. True. And maybe Dothalani's have this, you know, weird societal habit of like verbalizing their thought streams out loud when they're alone and he gets to eavesdrop. <laughs> so Ooh, that would be cool. That'd be convenient for him. I also love how his little, I can't remember what the things are. It's like the name of the character, this little tag, and then who the author, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, whatever his little tag is, or whatever it's called, it's stuck cleaning it up. <laughs> yes and i love it because it works both for his old life and his new one yep it's perfect it's perfect yeah all right man i was thinking that this can be fast because we both forgot everything but i think that actually helped uh put some more uh meat into this episode so people uh get a huge huge uh mp3 after a hiatus a week-long hiatus yeah and yeah also um we we had a whole lot of um listener feedback at the top and particularly i guess because i got a bit excised, exercised about one specific topic. So I apologize about that. Never. I'm into it. All right. All right. Well, so I've got our stop phrase for next time. Oh, nice. All right. It's so everyone should be reading on uh, the link that we have in the show notes. If you're not, you're doing it wrong. I'm just prepared to say flat out. But if you're reading it on Glowfic, on a Glowfic site and not Keiko Lukiums, I know I'm saying that wrong. I suck on, on his GitHub. Um, the stop phrase is, she doesn't want to give him time to dwell on it, so she kisses him. Nice. So I guess they're uh, they're going to get all kissy, but not till the very end. So probably two more episodes till we get to see all the kissing. Uh, what? I, I you know I I'm curious what it's going to be like. You know, in I, I guess I just I'm not thinking that reading a sex scene is going to be all that exciting to talk about or read. Really, I mean, well, might be, be a short episode read, then. But I mean, yeah, it might be a short episode. But uh, the the fact is, is that we got we got a content warning about it. So on the one hand, like I said, I'm too Ravenclaw to not open the box, but <laughs> I'm also worried what I'm going to find in the box. Like if this is bad enough that they like that they put a, a heads up on it, is it going to be really really bad? Or maybe they just want to say like, look, we know this isn't good BDSM. Don't at me, right? Right. Well, and also this may be a slow descent into depravity. It may just be hair pulling the first time, you know? Oh man. <laughs> uh, well, good. You gotta you gotta ease into it. That's right. Well, all right, man. This was fun. This was great. Thank you for joining me. Uh, sorry it went so damn long, but it was fun. Hey, like they're, always, they're always a good time. Yeah, totally. Thanks for listening, right. and uh, see you guys next week. All right. Oh, also support us on Patreon. Peace out. Bye. Thanks. Bye.